The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation show, episode 336. How's everybody doing? We're here. Enjoying the snow. Very good. <laughs> Not. <clears throat> it's coming for me, I can tell. I can see Bob has a problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Did I push this button? Yes, I did. Um, okay. Let's see. Um I guess one little change I made is over in the chat. Uh, you, you guys watching the show, let me know if it's harder to read that or uh, if it works or if I should go back to the older outlined version. So uh, let's see who we got on the show panel with us today. Upper left-hand corner, we got Rick Uland. Howdy, folks. No snow here. Plenty of leaves, though. Uh, I had to scramble home last night and get a quick lawn mowing in because it's going to be totally washed out this weekend and then it's going to be free. So I got to get, had to get it done last night. That's that. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Next over one who has no problem with grass whatsoever. Ron Delvo. How are you doing? We have lots of rocks here. Rocks <laughs> and uh, spiky plants. I got, I got a rock. rock. Oh, speaking of rock, next up is Loopy Malibu. Greetings, everyone. <laughs> and last on the top row, yours truly the monkey who pushes the buttons. Let's see. Next row, we got Marco. Hey, glad to be here. Okay, and we got Kevin Holloway. Hello, everybody. I'm not ready for the S word. <laughs> okay, and uh, Bob Emery. Howdy, folks. No taking snow a, here. Kind of taking a trip down to the tropicals, huh? <laughs> no snow here, but it rained hard last night. And next up, Ale Curtis Boyle, who probably wishes he was in the tropics. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Welcome to the show, everyone. All right. Down in the last row, we got Jason, the Cooker Man. It's Saturday. It's 2 o'clock, unless you're somewhere else. But either uh, way, it's time for the Cocoa Nation. <laughs> and you're not on a roller coaster? 
No. Um, it would be wind. It would be too windy if I was. Oh, okay. Doesn't that and, add to the excitement? <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, we got Nick Marentes. It's 4 a.m. tomorrow morning, and welcome from Australia. We made Sweet. it. And it's starting to get toasty down there, isn't it? Uh, n- not as yet. Not as yet. It's fairly cool at the moment, but that's the heat's coming. <laughs> yeah, I bet. All right. Uh, let's see. First, uh, Marco, how's Coco Tech coming along? Ooh, Cocoa Tech, I'm up. Oh, okay, excellent. Well, I've had people just falling all over themselves to join up and get in a slot. <clears throat> so uh, first off was Mikey Furman uh, with a couple ideas. Um, oh, they're on a calendar. We have a calendar actually on our main website, and uh, you can go actually click on the days and see what they're talking about. Is but, there a uh, subscription offer, like an ICS calendar, so people can actually get it automatically? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Terry Steggy set it up. Uh, I know it's based off of Google Calendar, so um, I can probably find the link for that. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a subscription to it, so you just get automatically notified. Okay, I'll dig up a link for that, so you can do that. So, uh, but anyway, so coming right up on scheduled stuff, I should probably pull it up here. How much is this subscription? Beyond your means, Mister. Yeah, just your sanity. Oh well, <laughs> it's beyond my means, then, isn't it? <laughs> Okay, let's see. The Cocoa Nation. So on our main website, we have a little calendar link at the top. If you click on all the thingies, uh, show calendar is what it's called. And it now shows up as a monthly view. And uh, everything should be in Eastern time just because. So coming right up on the uh, 20th. toward the mic. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I usually face it here, but I'm not way over my other screen here, so... So coming up on October 24th, this is, uh, what is this one? Uh, that was the one I think that Sloopy just did here. Yeah, so go check that one out. Uh, Sloopy, what did you do in that one again? Just for people that haven't seen it yet. I uh, worked on a uh, Coco One that uh, belongs to uh, uh, Ron DelVille. Yo, up here. Yeah, that guy. So go check that one out. It's already an episode posted. So, yes. So, uh, coming right up, uh, the 7th of November. This is going to be about DriveWire. Going to have Mikey Furman and Boise Pete on uh, talking about the history of DriveWire and hopefully all implementations of it. Um, Coming up, these are all on Tuesday, basically at 8 p.m. Eastern. So it's going to be evening, a couple hours. uh, Not great time for uh, Europe, but, you know, we only have so many days in the week and all of us have day jobs and we don't do this to make money. So we can't easily do it other But after it's recorded, it's good for any time. Yeah, exactly. So Mm -hmm. And And Tuesday's not strict. It doesn't have to be on a Tuesday. So just just to be people are aware, just they happen to be falling on Tuesday right now. Tuesday looks good on the calendar. Because it's you know two days before the game on challenge and four days before this show and and three days after so looks nice on the calendar. Uh, coming up on the fourteenth uh, is going to be is going to be uh, let's think it's Paul Fiscarelli if I remember right he's going to be talking about his uh, uh, basically his uh, Coco Sprite compiler so I'll have Paul and Paul Thayer's on that one too is he not? Yep. Yes. So and anybody else uh, might pop mm-hmm. on. Bad time for Simon Jonathan, but just about any else. Oh, nope, sorry. 
the seventh is backing up here. Sorry. <laughs> These are hard to look at and they take a long time to pop up. The seventh is going to be Paul Fiscarelli and Paul Thayer. The 14th is going to be Boise and Mikey. And then there'll be one on the 5th of December, which will also be Mikey. And that'll be uh, also Paul Fiscarelli and uh, David um, Ladd. And they're going to be talking about floppies and the grease weasel and the SCP, which is something that Paul has worked on, but also images discs. Which Paul? So, uh, Paul Fiscarelli. Uh, and then there's a new one popping up here. We just uh, finalized the date here. I think it's going to be is it, we're gonna do the 21st, which is going to be uh, G-Shell over the last 35 years, uh, the improvements in Nitrous 9. Uh, so we'll be, uh, have a nice tour of uh, that history with uh, L. Curtis Boyle and Rick Uland. Yep, and going through some new features that people probably, if they haven't read the docs yet, probably aren't aware of. <laughs> a chance to see what it looks like and to understand what's going on. So that's what we have on the calendar so far. So again, it's Tuesdays. And again, you know, this is the type of thing. I don't expect everybody's going to want to watch all of these. You're going to watch the ones you're interested in or the ones you're interested in later. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, you know, we're just trying to bring you some more content. Yep. And we are planning on doing some live interactive ones at some point, um, sort of like Q&As and stuff just to break up the, you know, yep. concentrating on a software bit or a hardware bit type thing. So we'll, we'll figure those out and. And as Mark mentioned in the pre-show when we were kind of discussing it, uh, we're going to try to maybe have a few on the weekend uh, to make it a bit more dragon and European friendly. Yeah, I'd like to do a dragon focused one and I'll probably do it either. Uh, well, I'm on the West Coast, so I'm, you know, uh, UTC minus eight. So, uh, you know, it'll be early in the morning for me on Saturday or a Sunday, something like that. And that way we can get a bunch of people on from England. Yep. So any of you uh, Dragon viewers out there, if you have any suggestions of topics to cover, maybe you want to cover, you know, the, the Dragon Professional or the Dragon Alpha or the Dragon Meetup or some of the history of the Dragon or some programming tips, uh, whatever, hardware upgrades, et cetera, just uh, contact Mark and uh, we'll, we'll set you up. I've been putting announcements in the uh, Dragon group on Facebook, as well as the TRS-80 Color Computer group and, of course, the Coco Tech group and the Coco Nation group. If I make it, may make a suggestion, Mark, maybe hit the World of Dragon uh, forum. So I don't know if you're a member of that yet or not. And just post on there and hopefully I'll get some answers from there too. Yeah, good idea. I haven't posted there, but I should. So Sixie just said something about feedback, WRT, the chat sidebar is cutting off text. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see that. I'm going to shut Easy. over just a little bit. And Geek with social skills says, the manual. who does that, Curtis? Pardon me? Uh, Geek with social skills says, read the manual. Who does that? Well, that's <laughs> the problem. Nick and I have noticed. Yeah. <laughs> what is this manual you speak of? Exactly. Manuel. <laughs> I've only got an automatic license. <laughs> also, Mark, I don't know if you saw, there's a couple of comments about your question that you posted about the, the change you did. Uh, um, I see about the cutting off the text. Uh, so I, No, before uh, that, like Mark Siegel oh. and Tom Eric Anderson both said the old style looks better. Okay. Oh well, let's see if it blows up if I change it on the on the fly. <laughs> we go down in flames. You know what's going on. Anyway, so that's Coco Tech for the moment. Again, you know these are uh, focusing on technical things, not general appeal like what we try to do on this show. And uh, not everybody's going to like it, but that's okay. Uh, well, I figure there'll be less people watching it. But when you're interested in learning about DriveWire or about GL, this is a place you want to go. Yeah, and there's a lot more episodes planned. I just know from just general chatter from people here, there's a there's a lot. And also, if you guys have any suggestions of stuff you would like covered, like uh, 
how to do faster graphics and extended basic or how to fix a disk controller, whatever, whatever uh, topic uh, you want to get some help on, just uh, send suggestions to Mark and then we'll see if we can get a, a panel of quote unquote experts to talk about. It. Uh, I got a big Rolodex with Cocoa people. So yeah, pitch some stuff at us and I'll go find the right people. All right. Cause I think at the moment you're at the point of people are afraid to offer things cause they don't know what you're after yet. You know, it's the cart and the horse thing. So everybody throws stuff out and, you can right. mark and figure out what he can make out of it. Okay. <laughs> um, if I can't yeah. find that, you know. Yeah. Mark, should I do my announcement here? Sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. I was talking to Marco. <laughs> um, basically, what we're going to be doing is, in addition to the regularly scheduled shows, we're also going to be doing a segment that is going to be on a. Um, as as done uh, basis where we're covering um, actual hardware um, uh, subjects. So basically what we're looking for is, do you have a Coco or MC10 or any other uh, of the related machines that needs to be repaired or peripherals? Uh, we're going to be having a Coco Tech section where we will be repairing them online. And we'll be offering this to whoever wants to send anything in because I don't have much of anything that needs to be fixed. Most of the people here on the panel don't really have much, but I, as you could see that uh, Ron did. So if anyone uh, would like to have their, uh, their equipment uh, repaired for a very low price of, and really cheap uh plus parts uh contact us also we would be like uh, we will be doing uh, a uh episode on um the equipment used for repairing so the thing that we're looking for is a one of those cheap inexpensive uh chinese uh scopes so if someone has one they're not using or don't want or decided, hey, this isn't for me, that uh, you're willing to donate to the show, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, brand is not important. Um, we're just the idea basically here is to show that getting into at least diagnosing and solving and fixing simple problems is something that anyone can do. So we're just looking for. Just a small, simple one um, for those that are familiar with Adrian Black on Adrian's Digital Basement. He did a he did one a review on one uh, about a year or so ago. Then we're looking for something so, uh, like that. Now, a quick question for you: are, are, Is this basically just to cover computers? Or are you doing all kinds of peripherals? Like, if your monitor goes, like if you have a CRT that you want to fix, are you going to cover that kind of stuff too, or is it limited to certain things? Uh, it's only limited to uh, Coco and their hardware cousins. Okay, so actual machines, not peripherals like of a disk drive yes. controller fries or a multi-pack or yes, peripherals, anything that's that any of the machines and anything related to them. So if a CM8 went, would that be something you'd cover? Um, yes, that's something we can cover. Unfortunately, uh parts for them are a little bit more difficult than most of the other pieces, but if someone wants to send in, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it because CRT shipments. Right. Yeah, it's high voltage. They don't ship well. They don't ship well. They don't yeah, ship. They don't, yeah, shipping, <laughs> shipping CRTs is not particularly the best idea. 
Um, I mean, if people want to, uh, if people want to have a uh, an episode on uh, repairing CRTs, which the thing is, is that there are a lot of videos on repairing CRTs, and the thing is, is that it requires special skills and such. And so it's not something that I would really recommend for the average user because right. the voltages okay. in your computer can hurt you. Uh, what's in a CRT can actually kill you. <laughs> right. Yeah, those things can bite. And the thing is, is that... That'd be the most computer, exciting episode ever. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and the thing is, is that when it kills you, it hurts the entire time it's killing you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it hurts badly. <laughs> so... So a simple thing like maybe 3D printing a replacement door for a seam might be okay, but uh... right, right. <laughs> I mean, if people really want to see like a a CRT repair just to see it, um, there. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of videos on on YouTube, but I probably have a CRT or two around here that needs to be repaired. I could probably do something with, but. Yeah, because I, I don't know too much about them, but I was wondering, like, is there some common things that go wrong where a certain, I don't know, I'm going to make up something because I'm not a hardware guy, resistor blows or something like that, that would be not as dangerous no, to repair no. on them that might, no? No, no? Okay. quite quite honestly, the most common thing for to go in a CRT is the flyback. And that is ground zero for... Uh, uh, for dying much. <laughs> for the electric chair simulation yes that is ground zero for do not touch this is a big owie <laughs> <laughs> well it's good to know i just i thought i like i know nick has got a problem with a couple of his monitors here and i, I don't think he wants to try to repair them himself either so i didn't know if that was something you could learn to do but uh, yeah it sounds yeah. like it's a little bit too if, if you don't if you aren't already familiar with working with crts you don't want to learn it's yeah. they're fading just faster go for a than, SCART adapter or something and, and just put it into an LCD, which I assume is not as dangerous. They're fading yeah. faster than you would pick up the skills to fix them. So yeah, I wouldn't even start. I mean, quite literally, my first recommendation when working on a CRT is make sure you're wearing a belt and hold the back middle of it with one of your hands. Right. <laughs> Good choice. So because okay. arm to arm is through the heart. Yes. But arm to foot is not. So yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Arm to arm to foot is owie. Arm to arm is oh, uh, you don't have to worry about it hurting. <laughs> it won't hurt much longer. Yeah. And and just even though we're making light of the subject, I just want people to understand that this is a very serious um issue. And yes, we are Although we are joking about it, it is still, yes, seriously, yeah. you can kill yourself. And there's we don't want that. There's a reason that. why all those videos have disclaimers on the front of them. Right. Every video that you see where they're working on them, they, they, those disclaimers are serious that, yes. That's good to know because, I mean, I've, I've heard that there's like high voltage stuff, but I didn't, I didn't think it got to the point of killing you type thing. So that's well, anywhere uh, from 20 to 35,000. Yeah. And the reason, the, the thing is, is that, Voltage does not kill you. Amperage does. And the thing is, is that even as low as <laughs> half an amp, it will kill you. The thing is, is that normally when you touch like 5 volts, 12 volts, they don't hurt you because that voltage is low enough that it can't penetrate the resistive surface of your skin. But when you're talking 12,000 volts, 15,000 volts, 18,000 volts, which is the minimum of what you find in a CRV, 
that will easily go through your skin. And it can also go through like very thin, uh, like medical gloves and such. If there's like micro holes in it. So even if you wear those, it's not, it's not safe. That's why you'll see electricians. They wear those thick rubber gloves when they're using high voltage, which is only like 500 volts. But even that is enough to go through like thin, thin gloves sometimes. Right. Like and if you're thinking, well, you know, static shock is thousands and thousands of volts, but there's no amps. A flyback makes high voltage and relatively high amperage. And, and those two put together. And once it's got you, you can't let go. No, you can't let go. Yeah, yeah because the volt, the, the the amperage makes you clench your muscles. So as soon as you as soon as you touch a little bit, your hand goes right on. It's like touching a live power line on a pole or something like that. Where you, right. Yeah. Except yeah, that's the top ones. Yes, the top <laughs> ones, the ones right. that have the uh, big gigantic ceramic. Not the low ones. Yeah, the yes. top ones. <laughs> um, as uh, Sixty says in the uh, chat. Uh, I had to live tune an Amstrad monitor with a pot not exposed to the user that sat under the ruddy tube. I was very careful. And Frank, yes. I don't want to do that again. I don't <laughs> I, I have I have alignment screwdrivers. They're plastic and they're six inches long. Yes. Mm -hmm. I used to work on uh, high high voltage or high um yeah, voltage twelve thousand um transformers for neon signs. And mm -hmm. um, the thing they teach you when you first start working with that stuff is you, t you use the back of your hand um, yep. because when you clench, <laughs> it goes. Oh, yeah. Direction. You can't clench backwards. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and, I guess uh, I, yeah, you don't really think about it, but a lot of the stuff in the human body, including how muscles work and your heart rate stuff is all electricity based. So right. you start throwing this heavy electricity, you're just going to screw everything up. Yeah. yeah. And they, um, they would send us out to fix a neon sign in the rain. And uh, we would turn it down. Check this way. Of obvious problems with that. Yeah. And as uh, Kevin Holloway says, uh, electric fences are pulsed. So they're not constant voltage. They're, they're pulsed so that you have a chance to let go. A millisecond. Right. And, right. and they're very low current, too. It's, it's, yes. it's way different. Once you get the current going, then it's not surface on your skin. It's through your body, not around you. Yeah. And that's way different. And you don't want to touch one of them either. <laughs> no. well, it sounds like it sounds like if you did repair a uh, CRT, you know, um, it would be a exceptional show that everybody would want to see. You know, there's always that chance of things going. Maybe you'll right. die on screen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ron. So I, got, word, no. I got a monumental idea. How about I teach you how to do it, and you just come over, and I'll tell you what to do, and you do it. Yeah, I'm trusting. <laughs> 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 and then one of those old console color TVs. Yeah. Uh, okay. No, I, I didn't. I didn't know all that, so that was that's good to know because I know some people have asked about repairing CRTs because they like, uh, like some of the LCDs and stuff. They kind of do the fake artifacting vertically between the scan lines to yeah. to give that soft transition between them instead of the hard black lines that some of the emulators and yeah. stuff do, and they prefer the CRT. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Curtis, you know how uh, you had a bad day when you burnt your hair? No, it was just an average day. That wasn't a bad if you, one. If if you go and uh, work on a CRT and it doesn't go well, you're you're gonna I have, have an afro. Bad, Is that what you're saying? You're gonna have bad rest of your life. <laughs> if, if you if you if you something goes wrong working on a CRT, the next person to do your hair will be the mortician. Right, right, cleaning you up for your viewing. Yeah. 
So anyway, it's like skydiving; it only goes wrong once, right? I think the I think the real conclusion to this is don't get yes. a Joey cable. Yeah. Yes. So basically uh, anything related to the Coco, the Dragon, the MC-10, etc., except for CRTs. Is there anything else that is considered dangerous enough a peripheral that you shouldn't be encouraging? Um, well, meat slicers or uh, yeah. no Coco. I stay away from David Ladd's grease weasel. <laughs> yeah, I mean. If you look in a cocoa, it's pretty good. They put a metal cage around the 110 on the transformer. They did a similar thing in the disk drive. Yeah. Right? Not not in the old later ones. ones. Yeah. Also, any engineer, any hardware engineer with a smile on his face that's that looks disturbing, stay away from them and anything <laughs> they're working on. He likes it. Yeah, if they look like the Joker sans makeup, then you gotta worry. Right. Taking one so. too many. But yeah, any any uh, any uh, hardware, um, computers, disk drives, multi packs, uh, DS sixty nines, floppy controllers, uh, anything. And as I also said, uh, if anyone has uh, one of those inexpensive uh, Chinese scopes, um, we'd like to do a show on one of them. Um, I have a full scope, but I want some. Thing that that people can get for under a hundred bucks. That's to to show the usefulness of of using one. Because when I was working on the Coco One, you could see I gave you tips on how to get around it. But sometimes it's just better to just have a scope. And considering they're you can get them for sixty to eighty dollars. It's not a bad thing to have, even if you're just diagnosing and you can't do the repair yourself. You can at least get a general idea of what is wrong and what needs to be done. I mean, okay. on, on, on the Cocos themselves, you need to be careful what you're doing. On CRTs, you have to be extra, extra careful. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like that's not a subject we would want to cover on there anyway, because it might encourage people to hurt themselves by accident. Right. If they're not experienced. Places they shouldn't. Yeah, yeah you, even opening looks, up the cocos, you still have, uh, especially like the earlier Coco twos, you do have some exposed AC terminals, mm -hmm. um, which is why you usually f find that they're taped up after the first time you reach over for the power switch. Um, and <laughs> yep. the, the Coco ones are getting old enough; the shield over the transformer decays off, and so that will expose some terminals. Uh, so well, maybe not thing. instant death, but it certainly will wake you up. Hey, Sloopy, right. Frank made an offer. Lynn Harris? Uh, oh, where? Yeah, I didn't yeah. see that either. Yeah, uh, Frank, uh, do you understand which uh, scope I'm talking What kind of scope I'm talking about? <laughs> I think that for some reason I own yeah. six of them. <laughs> yeah. Is that well, one of those, uh, it's the yeah. box that you plug into a computer or something that, that makes yeah. a scope that's like 60 bucks? Yeah, well, I, some of them had that like the two or two or three inch little display. Yeah, about the size of a Game Boy. Yeah, can't you just uh, use a Vectrex and do a little trick with it? Yeah, <laughs> those are probably rarer than the scopes. Honestly, <laughs> you could actually do there's you could actually use a regular TV as a scope. But the the idea here is is that I'm trying to show people that you don't need um, super expensive high end yeah hundreds yeah. of dollars of stuff. Yeah, Frank. Cool. You, you. I mean, you understand what I'm talking about. I'm just like looking for one of those cheap ones that, like, Owan or something. 
um, to show people. You went to this uh, really bad scope to do a demo with? Sure. I'll send you that. You can do or I've do seen, not. I've used one of those before. It's, it's, it's yeah, it works. I mean, yeah. it, it's not the greatest thing, but it would be better than using a multimeter. Well, and for my case, I don't like tying up a computer screen to make the scope display because I'm usually using the computer screen for other things on my shop. Right. So, you know, that's why I had this thing. But then I got a regular scope, so I'll loan you this for a while. There's okay. one. Maybe you'll have a couple to compare and say, this one really sucks. This one's yeah okay. Uh, <laughs> so, so in lieu of that, even if you have just a... Oh, in the uh, beeper. Probe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you just, even if you have just a probe, it can get you quite a ways. Right. It's the company, man. That's right from the proctologist, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. And, no, it's uh, a Micronta. He's a company man. He's got the good stuff. That's right. It's a Micronta. <laughs> anyway, it looks like, Sloopy, you've got multiple solutions coming your way now for that. So um, we can we can take um, that offline as far as making the negotiations of which ones from who. Yeah. Well, he still was successful fixing my computer, so I thought that was pretty good. Right. Yeah. Uh, Frank, my uh, address is in uh, Discord DM for you. So now originally we were going to have Brian Weasler um, also talk about some stuff, but then he had to run off at the last minute. So I, if, he, if he comes back on later, we'll, we'll, we'll throw it to him. <clears throat> but I do believe we have a Ron's garage this week. Yeah, let's do we it. We do. Cool. Okay, take it away, Ron. Okay, are we up? You're up. All right. Europe and all, all the different nations, right? <laughs> okay, so this is where at Ron's garage, and uh, I have um, to get rid of you guys because um, I have to use the slider. What's the current temperature in Ron's garage? Uh, let's see, right now it's probably, gosh. <clears throat> Um, I have to look at my phone. <laughs> 90, 93. No, <clears throat> no, it's in the late seventies because it's been cool because of all the cold up North. Anyway, um, I thought it would be cool for, uh, someone to post in, um, wherever, maybe, um, show us your color computer that, um, maybe your parents used to use the cocoa at one time. Here I got my mom. She was playing around with a game. I think it was Pong or something. She she's not she doesn't like stuff that moves too fast. And my dad, he was um, I I don't even you know for some reason none of the screens here <laughs> show anything. So I I don't remember what exactly they were doing. Yeah, you have to take a long exposure, a fairly long exposure yeah. to get a CRT photo to you work have to properly. Set it just right, yeah. And then you have to have the screen frozen, otherwise it's just into it and sort of a blurry mess. Right. Like you have to pause but, whatever's on there. But at least I have both of them on. My dad's gone. He was gone in 92. So this was way back. But anyway, um, I've been playing with uh, Coco Max. No, Coco Max 1. And I have a bunch of uh, artwork I used to do for um, our club. This is the Greater Toledo Color Computer Club. And I used to do slideshows 
and you know had um all the artwork done in, in coco max the first one and i brought it up thought it would be cool to see so i did that and um the other day i posted this and then i had somebody ask me uh hey um can you make that available so i put it up on um there's a 6309 and a 6809 just as tandy color computer large that you can uh, show on um, using the projector here, which is 6309 based by uh, Sockmaster, or you can use Sockmaster's um, just regular plain old projector, it, which is old. Is, isn't projector by Roger uh, Taylor? Yeah, no, Roger yes, Taylor. Yes, Roger Taylor. That's right. Um, what am I thinking of? She's. You're right. Yep. I'll fix that. Yeah, high colors by Sockmaster. That's right. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, uh this here is a um interesting thing this is a pdf i ran across and it's a radio shack color computer in the experimental psychology laboratory and evaluation <laughs> and you know they go three four pages they have uh some um uh what do you call it um machine language and uh basic in here You'd have to read the, read the thing, but basically, <laughs> basic. Basically, I um, I wanted. How do I get out of this thing? There? Yeah, I took a brief look at this. I didn't get a chance to fully read it, but it looks like they were evaluating some machines of around the 1980, and how appropriate they would be for this particular experiment. They had some hardware that was going to be driven by RQs, etc. They compared like a VIC-20, uh, the Coco or Terra City Color Computers was called back then. Uh, and one other one I can't remember, but they basically said that the combination of the 6809 and some of the hardware in there uh, actually made it the best fit yeah, for, right for this kind of thing. It says uh, the color computer appears to be a viable alternative as a laboratory microcomputer to other micros costing two or three times as much. I thought that was a neat little art article to read. And that's on Ron's Garage if you want to go read it. That's cool. And then... Um, this is a Christmas thing I ran across. Uh, Why are you reminding Christmas. me of snow again, Ron? I just it's had not it done. Christmas. <laughs> it's just winter, okay? But I mentioned Christmas. He's mean. <laughs> well, we're kind of looking forward to it. We had a bunch of crusty uh, summer days here. You want me to so, yeah. shovel some up and send it down? Yeah. There you go. Go ahead. It comes. He always usually comes as water. <laughs> and um, check out this. Um, me and... Um, Paul Fiscarelli um, go back and forth uh, during the week, um, sending each other pictures of how well um, either High Color did a, a picture or his uh, Coco SC program that does sprites did colors. And his mine um, cooks, uh, I think, sixteen colors into from two fifty six, and and it does the um, flickering, you know, so you can see more color. And then when the camera takes the picture, you get a bunch more than just 16. But this this turned out really nice. This is a, a, a charger from 1999. It's a, what do you call it when it's a, you know, pretend when they're, they're getting ready to manufacture. Prototype. 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 That's the word. Concept. That's what that was. <clears throat> anyway, it came out pretty good. And then um, I brought this up because... Uh, if you guys are playing sometimes with, um, you know, Decimate, and this is Decimate 1 because this is a Coco 2. And if you set the uh, year, 
not much left in this year, but if you set it to 1984, all the days of the week will be proper when you bring this up. Like this So Decimate a, doesn't support past the year 2000 or what? No, it Did does you? if you um, go to date here and enter a date like uh, 2023, it'll, it'll show it because there's another space in here where I, um, I have it. It shows the proper date right here. Right here. See October 2023? Oh, okay. This was on the uh, 19th when I did it. And um, so was it just yeah, having problems pulling today's date as the issue? or it, it just doesn't, it's not set up to do um, for, you know, it, it's it, 1900 is set when you first boot up the program. You know, it, it doesn't have the ability to put in 2.0. So oh, it's okay. always 1900. But in the in the program here, but you can you, make it. Okay, you can actually put it in here. I don't know why they didn't make it that way in the beginning of the program, but they did. Well, that was I think probably because the original clock driver didn't let you to enter in. Right, I remember we had to fix that for the Y two K stuff. Yep. Right. All the all the OS nine stuff printed one nine and then a byte, exactly. and just assumed that it would never go beyond ninety nine, and the display yeah. would always look. Good. Even though the way the memory was set up to preserve the time can handle up to twenty one fifty five, just fine. But they kind of didn't enable none that of the properly. displays could, and none of the entry things <laughs> could. It's interesting that this this mate will at least let you enter the proper date. Right. It does. Yeah. Yourself, mm -hmm. which a lot of things wouldn't have done. So and what's cool is um, some of my discs over the years have had um, different things I put in. And um, and you look at the file name, and I usually use the file name with the date on it. And if I put the date in, all that data will come up, you know, like I, like the thing I'm going to show you in a little bit. Um, another thing that's interesting is uh, I had a controller back with – this is Cocoa2-based stuff um, – I had a controller that was Disto, and it had four ROM spots in it. Eight uh, CDOS, um, Radio That's Shack. That's Disto's Yeah. Yeah. And um, I had um, burned a uh, EEPROM back in the day and put uh, ADOS on it with um, my own words, you know, come up. And uh, and it was set for um, faster drives. And um, if you hit uh, control and a letter, you could store uh, words like I, I had my um, CompuServe number in it and stuff like that. And that was really cool to have back in the day. It was like advanced, you know, I don't know if any other computer stuff, uh, computers in the other, in the world had stuff like that, but we felt that, you know, we were doing um, leading edge stuff, you know, and the cat command here is cat and cat one would uh, do like uh, DIR slash W does in DOS. And puts no, it sideways. Not any more cats. No, no more cats. <laughs> yeah, short for catalog, which was yeah. the way you got a directory on an Apple right. too, if I remember correctly. Oh, really? Oh, well, I'm not Seems familiar. familiar. Yeah. The, the only oh. thing is, um, when you program ADOS, you could make it so that it would not hang here, and I didn't know that. And at the time, um, it'll hang, and then if you go to type in run to pick a program. Um, it leaves the R off because you it, it um, yeah. takes one step to to bring up the prompt properly, and uh, I didn't do that, and I regret that part. But I know it now. And this is what CDOS looks like with the um, a clock. What do you call it? A real time clock inside the controller, and and 
the weird thing about this is it's um, day, month, year, which is kind of dumb. No, uh, that's the way we do it. And <laughs> yeah, that's pretty well the entire rest of the world does it, actually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like yeah. Celsius versus Fahrenheit. Yeah. Well, the rest so, of the world's wrong. What, what, what year is it? The 23 or 24? What month is it? It gets bigger and bigger. They, and they, bigger. Have, the same, they have the same problem yeah. reading our dates, though. <laughs> yeah, if you have true. five slash six, is that May 6th? Is that yeah. June well, 5th? Is that? Well, why don't we record time as minutes, hours, seconds, then? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if you'll notice, this is uh, this Cocoa 2 I have is uh, T1, so the zeros have a slash in them. And um, the output of the screen is real nice on this. This is an Insignia TV, and it's channel 4, and it looks good. Yeah, it's too bad you didn't make that yeah. CDOS uh, burned in with uh, lowercase titles and stuff. Yeah. Show off the T1. Well, By the way, there's I, a comment from Mark Siegel for you there, Ron. He says, besides Ron, no one has used Deskmate beyond 1999. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, just me. <laughs> I made these up uh, years ago. And, I, and if you know me all these years, you've probably seen these 100 times that I've posted them. But um, it just reminds you of back in the day when um, you used to wait for these to come in the mail. And uh, or you can get them at Radio Shack or um, they were at bookstores. And, uh, you know, I would go with my wife to the bookstore, not thinking that um, there's a rainbow there. And then after being being there like five or ten minutes and stuff, and then I'd like wake up and realize that, geez, I should go over there and look. And there it was. And I get it. And you have to pay the big bucks. I think it was five ninety five or something back then. And now it's cheaper um, if you subscribe, though. Yeah, I wonder how much it would be now, you know, if if this thing was published now. This, this I did in 2017, <clears throat> but you know, it would be what are magazines now? They're not cheap, are they? I don't even know. I haven't bought a magazine store? in years. I don't know if they exist. Other they, than they, I've seen them at airports, I just never looked at them yes, to buy them. But so they're like the ad folders, they're not really magazines. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. By the way, Kieran, uh, of course, is from the UK talking about dates here. He said, yeah, the old US date format was insane. Thankfully, everyone uses YYYY-MM-DD now, which makes sorting dates a hell of a lot easier, too, I might add. It does, yeah. Yes, it does. <clears throat> and this was when we had our show. Um, to just have the, the single frame of when he um, actually got it working and it's colorful and, uh, and there was five chips that were bad, evidently, here, memory chips. And uh, you probably cover this, you guys, in the show here later. Will you? Anybody? No. Well, we we mentioned before that uh, the episode that Slippy did is is up and available, which was repairing okay. your your cocoa. So yeah, okay. So that's about it, guys. I guess um, I don't know what other stuff I have. Oh, um, this this thing is interesting. The Strong Museum of Play, and they have. Um, you know, it has computer stuff in there. I, I haven't had a chance to look it over, but um, it's from Rochester, New York, where I used to live. So I thought that was interesting. And the other thing was, um, where was it? Oh, I did. I did. Um, do you know who this is? Hedy Lamar. Was she a beauty or what back in the day? Anyway, this picture came out pretty good. Her eyes are pretty. Right. And a code creator, as I understand. Yes. Smart. She was very smart. And uh, we had the um, eclipse a while back in October, and I covered that on my uh, 
Ron's garage and I did it on uh, high color. And uh, what else? Uh, I think that's about, I haven't been on in a while. That's Columbus Day. <laughs> I put my logo on a rocket. I thought I'd um, have a satellite go up and remove all the satellites that are going around. Have you guys ever seen how many satellites in a row you can see in the evening? If the sun's just right, it's terrible. Right. And back in the day, <clears throat> this is like 1999 era. Um, there was a per, uh, radio personality that had, um, uh, he wanted a computer. I used to do computers for um, Soyota computers in Rochester. And I told the guy one day, I says, you know, I can, I can paint one up for you. And he goes, okay. Um, and then um, this uh, Godzilla was out, the movie, and I was able to, you know, be cute and put this on the, um, I guess I don't have a full picture of it, uh, on the case along with maybe a hand. The guy's name was Brother Wheeze, and um, on his... Uh, on his computer, I had scales on the side, and on the top it said "world's fastest computer" because back then it was nine hundred and something megahertz, and it was a big deal back then. Oh, there's there it is. There's the face, a little better. <laughs> so that's about it, I guess. Um, there's a space station with a cocoa in it, thanks to paint shop. <laughs> anyway. Oh yeah, um, <clears throat> we were talking about computers in uh, in school, and this is from Rochester, New York, uh, school district. And uh, I don't know how many they had there, but this shows nine thousand eight hundred and one as a like serial number, I guess, for theirs. Asset tag. Yeah, and um, you can see the computer's been worn. It's and it's a sixteen K, I think. It doesn't say. I didn't. Yeah, it might. I might have it written here. Yeah, 16K extended color basic, which is weird. And 8,000, it's a uh, 2004, I think. Anyway, fun stuff. That's about it. I don't think there's much else. Uh, um, although the reason, uh, I have Ron's garage is because at one time I set up a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> you can see here that this is, uh, um, the Panasonic, uh, um, uh, PC based laptop and, uh, a 4P and I have two, um, four, they're not the, um, D's, they're just model fours. You know, before they came out with the, what is it? The, the Although they do have different keyboard layouts. I don't know why. Well, I think one's a 20, 128 and one's a 64K. And there's this one, uh, Model 3, and then Model 1. And then uh, this is a 1200. I had that all set up, and I had more. There's another picture somewhere else. But <clears throat> all this stuff is stacked in the garage. That's it. Um, thanks, guys. Appreciate okay. it. One, one comment from the chat here. Um, Flutterball says, uh, Ron, me and Charlie have been to the Strong Play Museum many times, have a great retro area, has Vectrix and TRS-80 machines on display, and tons of working arcade machines. Cool. Okay, good. 
You know, I kind of thought so, but I didn't know. At that same uh, strong museum I made um, back in the late 90s, uh, maybe it was 2000, I made a um, model, a large size model of a submarine that uh, hangs in the um, hallway. And also did a bunch of fake doorway um, art. Um, and they had like what's called a biosphere bubble thing. <laughs> And what they have is a large, um, um, I guess it would be a moving 12-seat uh, machine that has a video screen inside. When you climb in the side, the door shuts, and a video runs. And they show in the video um, this little um, submarine, and, and it looks like you have just gotten into the submarine, and you're looking through a viewer port. And so you look and you see the um, the thing go to uh, this bathysphere place. And uh, when you get out, you, when you land in the video at this place, it's supposed to be in um, Lake Ontario somewhere. And you get out on the other side, you go down a long hallway, which I lettered, um, you know, um, entrance with arrows. And then you go up these stairways and each of the stairways had uh, one, two, three, four, you know, on the wall with the... Uh, um, what looked like um, styrofoam panels that looked like uh, um, submarine doors, you know. And I did all that. And then if you go um, into the, the schoolroom, they had a um, setup of what looked like a laboratory. And the kids can do uh, different um, um, experiments and things. You know, it's like a school thing you'd, you'd go to um, – you know, the kids would go to a school, you know, um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, when the kids go on a, a thing, I, field my trip brain or... isn't working. Field trip. Yeah, exactly. They go out they go to this uh, um, mm -hmm. museum and you get on this thing and you go up, up the stairs and, uh, and you and do the reverse. You know, you go down the stairs, go in the machine and it shows you going back um, in the submarine to um, the base. And then you get out and it was pretty cool at the time. And I, um, I don't know how I found out about doing the, the work, maybe because I did signs at the time and somebody knew me, I don't know, but it was like an $8,000 project for me. And, um, it worked, you know, they, they actually took the submarine I made and put it up in the ceiling of the, um, hallway where you go up all these stairs and you see all these panels and each floor was like one, two, three. And at the top was this large uh, submarine in the ceiling. So that that was all, you know, PC days before. Um, I don't know before what, but we didn't we didn't do much computer stuff in it. We had thought about light uh, having batteries in the, um, the submarine I made so that lights would light up, but there would no be no way to charge it. You know. There's no electric around, and back then we didn't have a lot of uh, LED stuff that I knew how to do, you know. So, but that's about it. I don't even know if the stuff is still there or if they still do that. But um, that was the Rochester Science and Museum Center, which is similar or near the same place as this one. That sounds like that'd be a couple of things that definitely check out if you're in the Rochester area. Yeah, um, it's near the um, Strassenburg Planetarium which is uh, a planetarium that opened in 1968. And it's one of the first 
big ones around with the big projector in it, you know. Cool. Well, after all that vamping, Mr. Weasler still hasn't come back, so I guess we'll be skipping oh. him for now. <laughs> I was trying to see if he would be able to pop by, but um, so maybe I'll just announce a couple things and we'll go for a commercial break before we get onto the game on challenge. Um, so the first off, uh, next weekend is the uh Tandy assembly meetup, the very first Bay Area one. And that was one where you kind of uh, scanned a QR code and you would actually go and, and register. And I think they've stopped registration now. So we'll see if we can get some follow-up from some of the people that are going to be going down there next week uh, is the actual meetup. It's during the show times. So we probably won't get a live one. Maybe we will. But if not, we'll follow up the following week and see how the meeting went. I know they're planning on eventually expanding that to be a full Tandy assembly on the West Coast. So uh, the second one is uh, VCF Southern California, which is February 17th, 18th in Orange at the Hotel Farah. And I do have a little, a little web page link for that here. It's also on the uh, top left corner of the uh, show screen. Okay, cool. That looks good. Looks 70s, 80s, don't it? Yeah. And um, we're hoping you see a couple of the Coco people out there too. So, and maybe you get a, a live report or an, a follow up report on that one as well after it happens. And then, of course, we've got uh, Coco Fest, which I think Grant's planning on coming by next week to uh, kind of talk about it a little bit if he's if he can make it in the first weekend of May. So that's coming up as well. And uh, that's all the ones I have for now. Unless anybody has any other shows that I may have missed coming up between now and Coco Fest. And no, okay. So if you want to do a commercial break, Mark, we'll come back and do the game on challenge. Okay. Hey, Amy. Hey, Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should too. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like that should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Wapke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, TJB Chris, Tom C, Tom Gunderson, Tom S, and William A. Thing. Thank you so much, patrons.
Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Chad and Jen say, Hi, I'm Jen from Missouri. I am married to Chad and interested in playing all games, any and all systems. I stream to cross-gen gameplay on YouTube, capturing gameplay, this is sometimes the biggest challenge, capturing and editing repair videos of retro systems, Chad's videos, I do have my own Tandy chess machine but on the TRS side, I play with, and admire Chad's growing collection. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Alex Geyer, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! All right, Sloopy, you're up. You still there, Sloopy? Yep, I'm here. Now with less mute. <laughs> All right, let's see here. Share screen. Uh, let's see here. Which one do we want? We want to share this one. But we want to take this and put it over here because we don't want to see everyone backstage. No, I don't want that one. I want this one. All right. There. All right. We played uh, Lunar Rover Patrol, which was. Game number a 189 in the list of all games played by the Game On Challenge. And it was by T&D Keaton. I don't know if they were son and father or brother and brother or what. One of the two. Yes. <laughs> but I would be willing to guess that they were related. They are. And we had 16 patrols. Yes, I know it says 18, but there was only 16. At eight, at 16th place, we had Marco, who played the Apple II version. Yeah, wow. More than that. The Apple II. That's the, that was the way I got with the Coco. It was what? I got 150 with the Coco. Oh. I read it. My bad. My apologies. I didn't really read it too closely. I thought it said... Uh... I made the list. Move on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In 15th place, we've got Mr. Dave, 6309, with 4,300. 14th place, we've got Rich N at 4,650. 13th, we've got Mark B at 5,400. 12th, we've got Subhead at 7750. 11th, Henry III at 7800. 10, we have me at 11450. 
Ninth, Ed Rhodes at 14,500. Coconut Bob at 17,550. David Craker at 18,900. Sixth, we have Canadian Retro Things at 19,800. <laughs> oh, uh, there's a uh, typo there. Fifth, we have Nerf Herder at 24,100. Fourth, we have Jim Rye at 27,200. Number three, Shenley at 29,750. Number two, L. Curtis Boyle at 49,950. Curtis, couldn't you just get 50 more points? I tried two weeks in a row, got the exact same score. That just sucked. Ah, uh, all right. And the number one patrol is Tasman, Tasman at 57,150. I was wondering where Buck Owens was because I looked through this, the uh, games, submitted scores twice and did not see him. So either he didn't submit a score or I'm blind. So I don't think he did. I don't remember seeing one either, to be honest. <laughs> Thanks for playing. And let's see here. And over here, and this, and then this, because everyone wants to see my beautiful face. <sighs> Sorry. And at least you only jumped and you didn't hurl, so that's good. I'm improving. It's the backdrop that saved you. Yeah. Tom and Green. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and my cats are asleep, so uh, you're safe for a minute. <laughs> so uh, the game was kind of popular. I mean, a lot of people liked it. I mean, obviously, we had 16 players, which is about average these days. Um, but it was uh, quite a few people. Uh, had some issues with it getting too hard too fast. So. As long as you memorize the course, you're 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 gold. That's the key. It's the key in the arcade version too. If you don't know what's coming up, then you don't know how to adapt to it or adjust to it. Oh, so the MT RAM that's in my head, I need to replace with something better. Yeah, flash RAM or something. Yeah. So, um. Beyond Don't Die, any other tips, tips and tricks for this wonderful game? Memorize the course. I mean, the alien ships always come out at the same time. Like, the patterns they have will be different. But you'll know, like, the ones that drop bombs and create craters. You know when they're coming out. Like, everything is in order. Like, where rocks are never changes. Where pits are, except for the ones that get created by the aliens. You That, that never changes. Where mines are. The rolling boulders always come in the same sequences of small and big and whatever mixture. So once you memorize that, you can kind of adapt your play to it. And that that's the way to get high scores both on this version and on the arcade game. Uh, so purely pattern matching, and that's it. Not not purely. Like I said, the aliens do have randomness to them. They always come out the same types of aliens come out the same time, but you know how, how they're situated and when they shoot, that differs. So otherwise it would be really boring. But uh yeah, no, it's uh, basically just memorize the things as you go, and then you kind of get a feel for it. And uh, there's little tricks, too. Like if you're getting up towards the tanks, for example, you I usually back up. Like I'll, I'll fire the first shot to block their bullet and then you know hold it back to slow down to give them enough time to shoot a second shot to kill the tank. 
Um, you can do that with double boulders and stuff too, where you can, you know, just slow down a bit to give yourself the extra time. Cause sometimes if you try to go full throttle and fire twice, you don't have enough time before the second shot goes off and then you hit the rock and die. And there's timing things like if there's a, a pit followed by a boulder, shoot, then jump so that you destroy the rocks. So you don't land on it. You know, just little things like that. I just have one question. They're rolling boulders. Yep. You don't even have to get to the expert course to see those. Uh, I guess you don't have to go very far to see them. <laughs> I think they're on the third set of uh, checkpoint stages. Yeah. The first one. Then there's another one at the last set, too. Yeah. I know that um, Ken said that uh, the the lowest, he, the, uh, the, the fastest he could do from A to E was 60 i've done 59 yeah even though i was doing 55 oh wow the only thing at time i think i've gotten that is i ran at double speed because then the clock runs a bit fast but because i would get down to 50 i would get 55 and it was like he's like people are like how can you get that fast because i mean i saw other people get uh 56 and 57 but actually 50 maybe i've done 56 yeah I can't remember. One, oh, one other tip. If, you, if you're going for high scores and not exploring to see how far you can get, uh, you'll have to restart the game <clears throat> every time because once you break a record, you get an extra 1,000 bonus points. But then the next round you're playing, you have to beat that record to get the extra 1,000. And eventually, as you mentioned, you get it down to the point where you can't do it any faster. You will never see that 1,000-point bonus again. So if you want to go for a purely high score, you should reset the game each time you play so that anytime you break the record, you get that extra thousand points. Cause that adds up as you're going through, you say, Oh, five stages, that's 5,000 points. Potentially you're giving up if you're, you're playing it the 10th time in a row. Uh, yeah. Six, he says that uh, on the pal version, he's uh, he, 51 is his best. Every time. Yeah. That might be pal only. I don't remember ever getting it that fast on NTSC. Yeah. Cause I did, I was on NTSC obviously. And, I was able to do 55. Their clocks are are too slow. Yeah. I, I, 56 is sounding more familiar. I think the best I did this round was 59 because I was still trying to remember where everything was. Yeah, it's that whole um, uh, 50, 50 to 60 hertz conversion between them and us. So. It's exactly that. And because yeah. they're not, because, the, because they don't easily uh, uh, divisible, because they're not easily divisible. There's rounding errors. That's it. That's my <laughs> <clears throat> But yeah, it's it's one of my favorites from the classic Coco era because it is one of the ones that is the closest to the arcade. Like, you know, being fairly decent at the arcade game myself where I used to wrap the championship course three times in a game. Um, everything is in the same order, in the same spots. There's just the subtleties of not having the background music, obviously, playing. You get the little blitz between stages and when you start the game, etc., um, but basically it's, it's one of the closer arcade ports as far as being accurate to the arcade. Yeah. Yeah. It is a very nice game. So yeah, I'd probably put it in my top 500, uh, games of all time. That's better. Like I know Buck, when he really doesn't like a game, cause he plays so many games, so many platforms, he has his top 125,000. And if he really <laughs> hates a game, it's going to be around the 124,000 or lower mark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But any other comments from people in the uh 
in the chat. Some comments from the chat. Uh, 6E also said you can pretty much run full speed for the whole A to E segment. That's true. Yep. Um, uh, Scott Cooper said, that's Tasman, says, I like how the game goes from beginner's course to expert course. That's following the arcade game, which it, it was uh, beginner's and championship course is what they called it, but the same thing. Yeah, 60 says, one of the games where the ditties are burnt into my brain for all time. Same here. The Moon Patrol music was, that, that's a you know touchstone of my youth type thing. I always remember that. And even though the Coke only plays little blips of it in between checkpoints, it still tweaks my memory of playing the arcade game. Because that was one you could hear across the arcade. Yeah. Yeah. In my area, I don't think it was that popular because um, I never, I only saw it in games like for like the atari for the computers and such i didn't really see it in the arcade oh Um, wow we had several arcades here that had that machine so yeah the one arcade that i did see it in was a later like early to mid 90s and it mostly had old games in it and it was like basically it was in a strip mall that was like going downhill and the store in the front was like a small little convenience store that and they had like a uh, a second door that went back to the arcade because the convenience store was open more often than the arcade. Um, and it just didn't it. I mean, this is probably like ninety one, maybe ninety two. And I think the newest games that it had was like eighty eight. 87 something like that most of them were older games it was the only arcade it was the only game there it was the only one that i had seen in the whole delaware area that i went to yeah in my case there was at least three arcades i can remember um that had moon patrol the one i played it the most at was at the university arcade and that was bad because I got good enough at the game I could last a couple of hours. And I missed classes multiple times because I'm not giving up my record here. Because there was another guy at the university who was really good at it, too. And we had competitions to see who would get the high score for the day before they unplugged the machines overnight. And if I was doing really good, you know, if comp sci class was coming up, I was skipping comp sci class because I'm not going to give up my oh, quarter for my two-hour game. They unplugged <laughs> overnight, so your high score was only for the day. Yeah, yep. I got to stay. I got to get this. Yeah. And then by the end of the day, we'd kind of meet up and see who, who won because the arcade was open from, I think, 8 a.m. till 10 p.m. or something because we had night classes and stuff, too. So that was but yeah, the two of us, you know, if, if we got on the game, nobody was playing for another hour to two hours because that's how long we'd last. That was a friendly competition. It was fun. But yeah, I missed. I, I don't even want to admit how many classes I missed because that stupid game. Yeah. University of Delaware had Smash TV and that was pretty heated. Yeah, the other big one there was uh, Gauntlet. When Gauntlet first came out, that had lineups, mm-hmm. ten people deep for a, every player on the on the console. Quarters lined up on the side of the screen, people getting in mm-hmm. line. Like that was a phenomenon when that game came out. Yeah. So, all right. The other game we were playing is uh, Ghost Rush. Go Ghost Rush Halloween Edition. Yep, and there's both a Coco 1, 2, and a Coco 3 version. And I didn't know this, but you guys had mentioned that the Coco 3 version is actually harder. And actually, after playing both of them on the stream, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. You can definitely score better for playing the Coco 1 and 2 version. Yeah, the um, on the back, you can go through the the edge of the wings, like where they go up 
from the from the body um is where the hit hit box is and where they come down is outside of the hit box on the coco one and two version but on the coco three you can barely touch the the very tip of the of the wing in your your toast now is that something that paul actually mentioned when he released it i can't remember if he did or not but or is that just he changed the algorithm a bit between the two or i barely remember that from thursday let alone (laughs) (laughs) what paul said Yeah, because I mean, he's done several oh, versions of Ghost Rush. He's got the regular edition, he's got the Christmas edition, he's got the Halloween edition, and the graphics are quite nice for the Halloween edition. Even the Coco 1 and 2 artifact version of the game looks really good, too. Just the colors and stuff are kind of the blue and the orange, black, white. Does pretty good Halloween colors like pumpkins and stuff. So, and the Coco 3 version, of course, looks really nice on it. And uh, it's a fun game. It's uh, very, what's, how do they word that? Simple to play, hard to master. It's kind of that that style of thing. It's like there's one control, the button. All that does is change your direction. Definitely worth it. It's a it's a free download from Paul, and uh, even even if you want to just put it out for the kids at Halloween, they could probably, you know, you distract them from actually wanting to have candy by letting them play that instead, and you keep the candy for yourself later at night. Absolutely. I mean, it's called uh, yeah, because uh, when when my kids were young and would go trick or treating, they'd have dad tags, right? <laughs> That's for my kid brother. He's too young. He's sick or something. No, yeah. it's for dad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would tax kids directly. Anything anything that 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 was orange and said Reese's, that was like right off the top. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. I saw on Facebook somebody had mentioned that uh one I don't think it's probably a joke, but maybe it's serious. I don't know. But they said they had one one house is actually set up for both adults and kids because they'd give the kids candy and they give the adults little airplane sized bottles of tequila. <laughs> to uh-huh. take a long walk. <laughs> yeah. When I uh when I lived in New Jersey, there was a house one street over. They would have um a pitcher of hot fresh cider. It, they would get it from the apple orchard about 10 miles away and they would have it hot right. and they would give you a little eight ounce cup um and pour it about two thirds full of uh of the hot apple cider and then the other third was either air or if you did if you did not partake. Or the top was filled with uh, apple jack, which is an apple schnapps, and uh, they would this, uh, they had free refills. This was back in the day when Halloween involved things that weren't surgically sealed in packets from the factory. You right. were allowed to give people regular food and things yep. like that, which you can't do nowadays. No, no, unfortunately yeah. not. So yeah, but that that was an interesting yeah. uh, take. I'd never heard of doing that type of thing before. It sounds like that actually did happen. So, yep. Um, Nowadays they just want gift certificates. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it's it's too bad that the things have kind of deteriorated as far as that goes. I still like the candy though. I have a sweet tooth that, uh, especially anything that says Reese's. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, my children are grown, so I can't dad tax them. Right. But then my children are grown, so I don't have to spend as much money so I can buy my own. Yeah, I still give it away to the kids. I mean, our neighborhood's getting older, so there's not as many kids. We used to get like 150 to 200 a year. Now it's down to like 60 to 70. But, you know, the little ones, you, you still you like seeing the costumes and stuff there. And I did to take us back to Coco way back in when the Coco 3 first came out, 
there's a little Halloween demo I've uploaded to the Code Computer Archive. It just basically draws six pumpkins on the screen on the 640 by 192 and then it flickers the eyes and stuff to make it fake like flames mm-hmm. inside the, the jack-o'-lantern type thing. And I used to put that up in the window as the kids were walking up the house. And some of the really young kids who weren't that familiar with computers totally forgot about the candy because they saw this animated little you know thing going on. And they'd sit there and stop and stare at it. And then the parents, come on, let's go up to the door so you can get some candy. Just a minute, mom. And they'd sit there and watch it for a while. So yeah, that was kind of cool. But you could do that with Ghost Rush, too. <laughs> right. Put the yeah, button on the a, door. Yeah, just put a button. Yeah, actually, sure. replace the doorbell with a, the button controlling the Ghost Rush. Yeah, that'd be you good. Do it right, you get candy. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. And how many, you, you get one candy for every 100 points you get. So if you're really good, you might get five or six. Yeah. <laughs> I like that idea. I don't have the electrical skill to hook a button up to the doorbell thing, but most of you guys do. Yeah, yeah it wouldn't wouldn't be hard to do. You just have to make sure you turn off the the bell. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> Why is that kid sparking? <laughs> that is costume. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you did so well with that. They were going to get you to repair his CRT now. Uh, so, all right. Um, any other uh, words of wisdom about uh, Ghost Rush? Uh, the only the only thing I have, and it's the same thing I did the last time we played it, uh, is when you're getting if you if you're traveling around and you, the bat is just about off the bottom of the screen, so it's going to be coming out the top. Is to try to get yourself lower on the screen to give yourself time to react to which way to go, especially when you get the later levels when you got like pumpkins coming out sideways at you to give yourself some time to make a decision. Because if you're up near the top and all of a sudden it's coming right on top of you, you have such a split second amount of time to try to go left or right, or sorry, clockwise or counterclockwise, that you very often make a mistake. But if you actually get like a bit more time if you're near the bottom, so that's about the only tip I have. And you guys beat my scores anyway, so probably you guys have better tips than I do anyway. Um, The only real tip I have is try to avoid the bottom right corner. <laughs> because you can easily get caught up in there where you have a pumpkin coming from the left and a bat coming down and it makes it a really tight squeeze to get out of that kind of jam. Yeah. The only real tip I can give that is, is substantial is play the Coca one and two version. <laughs> it's easier. <laughs> yeah. That'll work. Remind also. everyone uh, where we can get the latest versions. Computer Archive, I think, has all of them on there. That's where I grabbed them. Yeah, that's why well, I still had them from last year. So yeah, just look for Ghost Rush. You'll see the regular, the Halloween, and the uh, Christmas versions, and then both Coco Three and Coco One Two versions. Um, I can't remember if the MC Ten version. Uh, did he make a Halloween version of the MC Ten or just a standard one? I don't know. Hmm. Anyway, yeah, Color Computer Archive should have all the versions there. So. All right. So is that everything about the uh, two two games? Yep. All right. I guess we're going on to uh, the next two weeks games. Mm-hmm. Well, the ne- the new game for the next two weeks. And I think you have a special guest here that might be able to help you with that. Yeah. Well, you see, the thing is, is that um, I was given a game by the um, Game on High Council, and I didn't like it. So I decided I wanted something different. So... I decided that I was going to go with, where is it? And uh, there it is. 
So the game for the next two weeks is it's Google. Google. What a game. Detroit Reloaded. So to uh, explain more about it, we have the man, the myth, the legend himself, Nick Morentes, to tell us all about it. Nick? Hey. <laughs> G'day, everyone. Neutroid. Let's talk about Neutroid again. <laughs> um, yeah, Neutroid's the game I program this year. It's in machine language. And Neutroid Reloaded is the fourth iteration of this idea I had from way back when I was still in high school when I first wrote Neutroid on a TRS-80 Model 1. And uh, four versions later, this is the final penultimate version. This one works. So Neutroid Reloaded it is designed for a Coco, all Cocos, Coco 1, 2, and 3, as well as the Dragon, and it should work on any um, Coco uh, compatible computer, I guess. And uh, you need to have 64K of RAM um, is the only main thing you need there. So um, Yeah, you don't even need joysticks. Right. You have the option of keyboard play too, right? Well, yeah, it lets you choose between joystick or keyboard. Um, and uh, whichever one you prefer, you play with that. It's, it features um, two-channel sampled sound effects. Uh, the sound effects I'm particularly proud of in this game, they sound really, really, I don't know what you, how do you describe it, very uh, electrical, very nuclear. The game yeah, they're, itself, much, they're much improved from the previous versions of Neutroid, if anybody's played those that were free downloads. Oh, yeah, now the sound effects are good, and there's there are two-channel uh, digital sound effects. Uh, the game <laughs> uses semi-graphics. Uh, the game uses semi graphics eight, uh, which gives eight colors on a Coco one and two. And Nine, including the black. Same, well, black's not technically a color, but uh, yeah, including black, all right. Um, and uh, it's available now. I I have it for sale off my website at www nickmorentes.com and uh, you can get a, a digital download which is basically I email it to you for $7 US or if you want, if you're a collector you can get it on a in a CD box on a, on, on a CD um, which of course you can't load on the Coco but <laughs> the CD is all colour printed and there's a little instruction sheet inside, and it's for $15 US. And on the CD, you do also get all the other versions of Neutroid as well um, as an extra. So even Including the Tier City Model t- 1 one if you want to try one that. version, or- that's right. So if you have an emulator for a Model 1, uh, it'll run in that as well. If you want to see where this whole thing started from and uh, follow the evolution of the game up to Neutroid Reloaded. Um, what else can I say? I, I can say that it's, after almost 40 years, he finally got it right, folks. This is a really good version. It's, <laughs> it's got, um, yeah, let's say it's got a, a, quite a few improvements over the original. It is easier to play because Neutroid's always been considered a bit hard. Um, 
and uh, Nutoid Reloaded was uh, simplified a lot more. Um, I don't know if anyone has already on the panel here has played it. They could comment whether uh, they've uh, found it easy. But Loopy, you're up. <laughs> I thought it was a great game, and it was really easy. Yeah. <laughs> so it is a lot easier. Yeah, it's 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 the easiest uh, uh, Nick Morenti's game there is. And my sandwich <laughs> tastes better now. Was that your what? What was that, Bob? It makes my sandwiches taste better. <laughs> it passes the arcade test in that you can figure out how to play it by watching the guy in front of you play it. So I think when Bob's your comes up, you know? Yeah. For the old one, I wouldn't have known what to do when my quarter came up, but on the new one, I will. Yeah, and that was one of the few games, like the when the first version of the Neutron and the Coco came out and I played that, I even after reading the manual, I didn't really understand what the hell I was supposed to be doing. <clears throat> and that's because Nick had removed a few what I consider key uh, visual effects and stuff as to what is happening in the game that made it much more obvious what you're doing, what you're controlling. And um, that's all been fixed now. And and then he, you know, hyped it up with a bunch of extra effects. Like the, you can see the animated GIF here up on the upper left corner. I'm sorry. I'm never going to pronounce that GIF uh, showing some extra effects. He's added like the lightning bolt here and um, you know, the status bars and level bars on the top, et cetera. So it's been greatly improved. And sound greatly improved in graphics, greatly improved in gameplay. Um, this this is the new Troy you want, always wanted. <laughs> yeah, so that's it. What else is there to say that hasn't been said already? Well, it's well available Nick, now, now. I got a question. What now? You're you're saying that they're they're the uh, the original versions for the coco are included on the disc you're calling that a bonus feature yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. you see, you see it's archaeological is, yeah you see the thing is that, that the the neutroid uh the the coco versions up until now are are for the european game players and he had to water it down for the u.s players <laughs> oh that's it okay. there you go Sixty. can you attest to that since you're in the chat a, a European game from an Australian. How how interesting. Well, they're there both you go. Also. <laughs> yeah. So back in the day, of course, I was uh, I was still in high school when I when I wrote the original version, and that was back in the day when I actually did have reflexes, you know, and and uh, coordination. And for <laughs> me back then, for me back then, I mean, I, I thought the game was just right. It was a very arcadey. My fingers actually, it was only keyboard controlled as well. So I had no problem playing it. But yeah, go forward 40 years and uh, yeah, I, old age is not nice. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and when I did the Coco version, it was a bit more simplified, but it was still too hard. So I did do a, a, an update again, Neutroid 2015, which I did in. 2015 um and i simplified it a little bit better uh, a little bit more rather and uh you know, and, and added joystick control and a few other things but it was still much the same game and um still people were finding it hard yeah the, the, so the visual cue was was still missing i think that was the one thing you missed there yeah yeah between the model one version and the coco ones i did change a few 
quite a few things, hence why I actually called it Neutroid 2. Um, but with this one, I've sort of went back to the Neutroid design of the Model 1, which was which was the original vision of the game, you could say. Um, and I decided to go back to that, add colour, add better sound, and just simplify it. I mean, the, the thing in the back of my mind was that the game had to be intuitive. If someone was to just sit in front of the, the screen for the first time, not reading a manual, they've got to be able to work it out. And uh, I, I did that by uh, when I had my game testers, which was Buck Owens and, and uh, Tasman. I just gave them the game. I said, here, test it. I'm not telling you what it is, what it's about, how to play it. Um, you're just going to tell me what you work out. And they, of course, worked it out, no problem. So, but that was the that was the emphasis I had. It had to be intuitive. So I think it 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 is greatly improved. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's about it. I mean, what else can I say? So we still get the uh, download if we get the yeah. If you buy if, you, if you're that's right. If you buy the um, the CD, the the package, um, you I still email out the um, the the file to you directly, so you get the game within whenever I process the order, which is usually okay. two one or two days after before the game it. on challenge. In other words, well, that's yeah, that's the idea. But otherwise, you can just order the the digital download. And I, I, I process all these myself manually. I don't go through anyone to automate that. I just, you know, well, you know me, I always do things the hard way. <laughs> Good man. Yeah. I recommend buying the... Uh, the the full, collector's version? Yes, the full CD. Yeah, I want the CD. I want the Model 1 version, and I want to play for the game on Challenge, although I well, won't be can... able to make it. I'll be able to at least play the game. So You can at least <laughs> compare it. it, it yeah. Yeah, they're all there more as a historical thing, you know. Well, you know, it's good good to see the entire story behind Neutroid or the the evolution rather of of Neutroid. So I see Kevin Holloway's actually got the uh, <clears throat> the commercial collector's package here. If you want to switch the camera to him briefly, already, already in oh, front okay. of us. He bought it last week, actually, and it's already here, and it looks cool. Mark B. Yeah, that's it. It's so, okay. Yeah, I so can the, blow him up until. Uh, Got a bunch of uh, lot of buttons. There he is. Carry uh, the four. Right, that's there it. it is. Divide by two. There you go. Now Still warm in the package, it. huh? You want to show the back too, there, uh, Kevin? It's proper. Whoa. Do you know that electrical thing? Um, yeah, uh, Slo Sloopy, is that what you see if you touch the wrong thing in the back of a CRT? <laughs> <laughs> no one knows what you would see because no. No, you can't they don't survive. <laughs> Here's your we next game funny. idea, Nick, repairing a CRT. <laughs> there you That's go. right. Yeah. Actually, I've had this over a week. What shouldn't cool. you have touched? <laughs> and yeah. he still has it shrink-wrapped. Yep. I've got the digital version, so I don't need to unwrap this. Don't need to unwrap it. That's for the collector shelf, and yeah, you get to play yeah. the game too. Uh -huh. So Nick, so, you don't well, actually have it... to put a CD in there. No, no, no. no. Save yourself some money. 
So, Kevin, how long did it take for your order to come through from after you placed it? Um, I don't know. I had it for last Saturday's meeting. So, oh, cool. I that. That. Oh, right. was that the CD version you're talking about or the, the digital download? Oh, the digital download. That, that came pretty well. That, that day. That's right, yeah. But I, I got but both the CD. Of both of these the yep, same my, day. Nice. All right. That's right. You ordered both of them, yeah. So they came within a week then or, or about a week? Yeah, I would say about a week. Yeah. Well, the CDs are manufactured by a company yeah. called Kunaki. At least it didn't have to come from Australia. <laughs> no, it would have taken another two weeks. <laughs> get it by Coast Yeah, you get it by the time for Chicago. Might as well ship it there. It'll catch up with my chocolate bars. It goes a bit slower uphill to get from Australia to. Oh, right. It's got to go up. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, Scott Cooper in the chat, uh, Tasman says uh, that will be worth millions in 100 years from now. (laughs) Right, right. I think only if Nick signed it, though, that that you'll have to arrange. All I I have to do is live for a million years and I'll be rich. (laughs) No no problem. I'll pencil that in. (laughs) Can't take it with you. (laughs) <laughs> all right so well i think we've heard enough about neutroid i i would have said that years ago but yeah <laughs> uh no we've still got two weeks of talking about neutroid. right oh, right God. it comes I'm back that's right so excited i am again so and again <laughs> so ne- hey go to nickmarandis.com uh... you can order the electronic download version only if you <laughs> if you're cheap like me or you can now download or order the actual physical package where you get the packaging that Kevin just showed off with the CD inside, and you still get the digital download almost immediately, so you can participate in the game on challenge. It's a it's a great game, honestly. It is. Now, one thing for those who are waiting on the digital download, um, the email address that I use to send the uh, package, uh, the the digital download to, is the address that it's given to me by the uh, by PayPal. So if your P- PayPal email address is not your active or current email address and you'd prefer it to go elsewhere, make sure you send me an email to say that you would rather it delivered to another address. Uh, otherwise, uh, mm-hmm. I will send it to the address that is given to me by by the PayPal. Um, and, yeah, because you've got a few uh, yeah. people where they thought you never sent it. Yeah, it they're, they're waiting letters. for it, waiting for it. And I said, well, I sent it. <laughs> and, but the thing is, they they don't check their whatever address is in PayPal. Um, and uh, so there's a bit of confusion there. So um, make sure you send me uh, an email separately to say, look, I prefer it to be sent to my, my uh, Gmail account or whatever. Yeah, a couple comments too. We got <clears throat> Amigos Retro Gaming. I'm not sure if it's Aaron or Boat or Brent. I'm guessing it's Aaron. He said uh, the box version is great. And then a Viking name that I'm not even going to try to pronounce properly, which is a friend of mine uh, here from Saskatoon, he used to be a Radio Shack store manager, says the art of the physical game copies is a dying art. Glad to see a hard copy available. Yeah. I mean, come on. What, yeah. more, uh, what more push do you need? I mean, it's go out and buy it right now. 
Well, and, uh, basically, you'll be competing I mean, against Sloopy for a high score this next two weeks because he's probably one of the better ones at the game here. I guess uh, Buck and, and Tasman will give Sloopy oh, Buck, a run Buck for his and money. Tasman. Well, th- this game you can get to the end of the game. There are 16 levels. So if you can get to the 16th level, it, it, it ends there. Um, and Sloopy and Tasman have both done that. So uh, you... I, I suspect we might get a few people who, who will reach that. The trick is, of course, getting a high score as well So for the game on challenge. So you see how many points you can get up to 16 levels. It takes a little while to get through to it all, but it is possible. I don't like games that are impossible. Like I said before, I'm not so uh, – my reflexes uh, will not allow – allow me nowadays to uh, get too far. And I figure it's the same for a lot of us. Yeah. My reflexes are are basically to the point where I should just be playing text adventures at this point. Right. (laughs) (laughs) With spell correct. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You you don't accept the Canadian spelling. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) So you can choose between a digital download or a CD. CDs are just, Having having a box version is just something that I've always done. I've always liked to to see a pa- a proper package, you know, with the artwork and all that. I mean, it's pretty pointless really nowadays. But oh well, That's give cool. give yeah. the cocoa. Yeah, cool. it just looks. Uh, yeah. It's final. a collectible, and that's yeah. that's the big thing about getting the package that, one is that yeah, you have something to show off the shelf. I've got something that games up here too myself. So. Yeah, the only thing I would have recommended was including a Neutroid in the uh, in the package. A, a, a real a real Neutroid. Yes. <laughs> and what a little bit of tinfoil or something? What? Yeah, like yeah, just <laughs> like, like a neutron what? or something. A neutron, proton. I'm sure there's some in there. I mean, they're microscopic uh, particles that are passing yeah, through and some what, of the time. And you want to turn America like Australia, all desert when it blows up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, some parts of it I would not object to. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so the next two weeks, we've got two games on the, the go. There's uh, Ghost Rush, the Halloween edition. So you got one more week in that one, and you got two weeks to uh, play Neutroid Reloaded and also to order it from Nick's website. You can go for the, just the strict digital download or the collector's edition CD with full-color documentation and case. Yeah, break uh, the seal. Curtis, I expect to see you on both uh, days playing Neutroid. Sure. Yeah, actually, I don't mind the new one. I've actually played it a few times. Yeah. I'm not as good at it as you guys, though. It's easy. You know, sort of like how you were telling me that uh, Lunar uh, Rover Moon Patrol is easy. It's easy once you memorize it. Yeah. Before that, no, it's not. Okay. You say it's easy once you once you get good at it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much exactly. <laughs> so I think that's it for uh, game on challenge. Uh, back to you, Curtis, for the news. Yep. So I'll do a bit of the game on news. Uh, I don't know. Did you want to do the thing, or should I go straight into it, there, Mark? Okay, take it away. 
Okie dokie. So we have a few game related uh, items in the news this week. Uh, the first one is Jim Gary did a couple of things. Uh, he ported uh, Goldmine, which was originally appeared in Creative Computing Magazine, February 1979. So this is a game that was written a year and a half before the Cocoa actually came out. Originally by Royce A. Jones and written in RSTS Basic for the PDP-11. RSTS Basic is something I'm actually familiar with because we used to use that at work before the PDP blew up for the second time where we replaced it all with the Cocoa 3. Um, so he ported that to the MC-10. The original Aristus Basic version was written in 1976. So this is an old, old game. Uh, as you can see on the copyright screen here, too. I like the Neil Young quote, of course, being Canadian, and he's a prairie guy, too, from Winnipeg originally. But basically, you're, you're kind of digging a uh, path through to get gold, and uh, Jim's updated it to use some inverse graphics here to kind of make it look a little bit better on the MC-10. And you can see you're collecting, you got the number of days that you've been playing, doing your mining, you're getting your bank roll up as you gather the gold pieces. So that's the first one he did this week. The second one is called Dam Busters. And this one was originally by R. Larham, and this originally appeared in Sinclair Programs magazine from November, December 1982, so a bit more recent. This one uses the semi-graphic six mode, so it limits you to four colors at once and uh, gives you an increased resolution of 64 by 48 as opposed to 64 by 32, which is the normal SG4 we're familiar with on both Cocoa and MC10. And I'll play a little bit of this one. Now, he hasn't mentioned the last couple of games if he's made them jo that joypad compatible, um, that pseudo joystick uh, controller that he's been doing a few ports to. And it looks like you shoot a, a bouncing, I don't know what you call it, a bullet, a mine, a boulder or something. And you have to kind of time it so that the bounce will hit the target. Which doesn't look too easy because <laughs> he misses it quite a bit during his demo. Like <laughs> oh. This is something Dam Buster. Did. Yeah, this is something they did in World War II. Yeah, the Dam Buster bomb that rolled over the water and you had to hit the dam on its it, side. Yeah. Cool. Now, did it bounce this high in real life where it's like it would clear no, the dam? It, it, it hit and skipped, but you had to hit and skip into the dams. So this is like that theory in a game. Yeah, okay. they, they did fly pretty low. What what colors does Semi-Graphic 6 have? Depending on which uh, set you use, like uh, this particular one here, oh, it's so got it, the green, red, black, blue. The other one has cyan, or sorry, I, mean, I think it has cyan, orange. Basically, the other, you know, P-mode color set is your base colors, except you oh. do get black. Oh, it is damn busters. Okay, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> sorry, I skipped the title. <clears throat> you do get black. Yeah, you do. And you do get higher res, like you're getting 64 by 48, so you're getting an extra pixel per character row. You, it basically looks like the okay. Share City Model 1 and 3 where you get the uh, 2 by 3 per character. And the Coco, Coco doesn't actually have a semi-graphic 6. Um, the, the VDG has that built in, but I think I'm trying to remember, does the Coco actually enable it or do they do something funky because of the SAM that it doesn't work? I can't remember. I never used it myself, so I, I can't really speak nah, to it. No, me neither. Yeah, there's some that are broken. Is that one of them? Yeah, I think That's it space. is. I can go grab those. 
Next up, uh, Fabrizio Caruso. Uh, the, this is a double banger here. So he's got a new game out that's for all the 200 plus platforms that his cross compiling library works on, including the MC10, Coco 1 and 2, Coco 3, Dragon 3 64, the Thompson Motorola series, the Thompson TO series. Um, so a whole bunch of machines, and, and there's hundreds of them. Um, so the new game here is called uh, Stinger. And I'll play the video in a second here. This is actually the Cocoa 3 version, which is part of the other part of the announcement. Is he's now got his cross-compiler working on the Cocoa 3, so you can use the expanded graphics, expanded colors, double speed. Um, I think this game, if I remember, he said this particular one does not have double speed because he wasn't familiar with it when he wrote this one, when he first got the Cocoa 3 cross-library working. But he has enabled it for his future games. So... Now, this one is kind of based graphic-wise on the Spectrum version, if I remember. In fact, the font looks pretty Spectrum-ish to me. Uh, and the fact that he's got each um, tile character to be just two colors. Because uh, obviously the Coco 3 can mix whatever 16 colors you want there uh, within the same 8x8 pixel grid. But on the Spectrum, you had a foreground and a background color based on it. So he's kind of following that myth methodology. But uh, yeah, now that he's got some extra features into the cross library for the Cocoa 3 here, I expect to see some more and, and more visually impressive games. And now that he knows double speed works, he can obviously help with that too. And he has a big thank you to Simon Jonas and was helping with some of the Cocoa 3 specs to get that working in the cross library. So look forward to some more. <clears throat> and I believe he's going back and he's going to be backporting because I think he's got seven or eight other games that he's done this massive cross platform. And he's going to make Coco 3 versions of those as well. So that might be a, a future option if the game on challenge is maybe picking up a couple of these because that'll work on the MC10, the Dragons, the Coco 1, 2, and 3, and you'll get different versions depending on which hardware you're playing on them. But the gameplay is essentially the same. Same as the new Fudu guys do. Except uh, Fabrizio actually has you know, almost three times as many platforms supported on his than the new Fudu does. So yeah, that you can go get as a free download. And the link, if you go to the Facebook uh, link, and we've got that in the show notes, you can get on our Discord. Um, There's a direct link to the release of Stinger, and you can get it for whatever platforms you're interested in. If you're into multiple retro machines, you can even cross-compare them all. Next up, uh, now one of our guest stars in the chat there. Uh, I believe that's Amigo Aaron, because he said he's handsome. Um, so they released the new version of the Coco Show. Now, this is the first episode of the Coco Show with new co-host with Aaron Brent, his younger brother, both of whom actually grew up with the Coco 2 back in the day. And it was a, a traumatic experience for Brent to have to pull off playing Dallas Quest, his favorite game of all time, and to switch to something else. But they played Middle Kingdom. Now, this is an interesting one because I knew about Middle Kingdom from Computerware, went on sale for the Coco in 1984. We actually had an original copy of this in our computer club at one time. I have no idea what happened to it, but I remember... I had to break the copy protection to make a backup copy. Um, but basically, it's it's kind of a... It's not quite an RPG, but it's it's kind of an explore the dungeon. You have to collect uh, these three rings. There's one in each section because you have a main, a main entranceway that then leads off in three directions to get to different parts. There's a catacombs, a pyramid. I can't remember what the third one's off the top of my head, but different sections. And you can tell which section you're in both by the text in the upper left corner. And also the design of the walls, because the uh, the texture of the walls will change depending on what section you're in. And basically, you wander through here, and you pick up spells, and you pick up uh, treasure, which you can see on the screen here as well. The ultimate goal is to get all three rings and then come back to the main entranceway, and then you win the game. So this game has an end as well. Now, that's that's as far as I knew about it. It has some a you know, little bit of sound effects you know, that aren't too bad. Smooth-moving walking of your character. Random encounters with monsters just pop up in front of you, and, and then you fight. And you can change live while you're playing 
what you're attacking them with. So you can pick like you know actual physical weapons, like um, maces and daggers and whatever else. And you can upgrade them as you go through and discover them. And you also have a set of spells, and you'll discover that certain monsters, certain things work better on. Um, but one I, I did not know is that this actually originally came out on the dragon. Um, and that wasn't uh, discovered until Buck and uh, Aaron kind of went through and started doing some research. So it came out of the dragon about a year earlier. And of course, it was pure black and white. So the textures on the walls are quite different on the dragon version. In fact, there's intro screens and a few other things that are different, too. There's also no sound on the dragon version. So there's actually a fair bit of differences before they released it in North America from computerware. Um, which I didn't know any of this, so I have to go out and update my webpage at some point. But I'm going to try to do a bit more research on this, and I'm hoping some of the people from uh, the Dragon community in the UK might have a bit more background information on the original company that did this the year before it came out on the Coco. Because it's actually a fairly decent game. Um, I'm pretty sure like nowadays you'd probably expand it a bit and maybe change a few things for the modern game player. <clears throat> but yeah, actually, it's, it's not a bad little game. And uh, like I said, it has an end, so you can actually win it, which is nice. Um, there is some score-based stuff here too, so you might be able to use this as game on challenge. So it's not going to be a short play game on challenge, but uh, definitely check it out. Now, just for those of you not familiar with the Coco Show from the Amigos, I thought I'd play a little bit interesting, kind of get a feel for what the show's like. Middle Kingdom. Uh oh, I can hear Tolkien's lawyers from here. Next on the Coco Show. Even changed the thing here and replaced. Uh, boat with Brent. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Coco Show. Hello. This is the show where myself and the Brent explore and expound on everything that's Coco-related. This Ooh, week, including the chocolatey drink. That's right. This week, we'll be taking a look at the uh, CRPG classic, maybe, Middle Kingdom. Middle Kingdom this week, the Brent. Now... Always the kings of the upsell, but uh, yeah, definitely go check it out. Now they're on a new schedule. Coco Show used to be monthly. That was back when Boat was doing it because they would record uh, the Amiga Show, which is weekly, which Boat is still on. It's the one show he's still on. So they record that on Fridays, and then they used to just alternate between the Spectrum Show and the Atari Show and the Coco Show. And then they have ARG Presents, which is kind of a random hodgepodge based on spinning a wheel and getting random topics. Uh, to choose from, which they record on Sundays. Now, everything's kind of changed. Boat's been very busy. His wife just opened up a brand new restaurant. If you're in the hurricane area, I would definitely go check it out. Um, and he's also doing some stuff with his church. So he's, his free time is pretty well nil at this point. So he's just doing the Friday Amiga show. And Brent's kind of taken over on everything else. And uh, now they basically on Sundays, they'll just alternate between the different alternate shows besides the Amiga show. So you get the Coco show, the Atari show, the Atari ST show, ARG Presents, etc. Um, so they record those on Sunday mornings and, uh, I'm not sure what time that's going to be after the time zone change here. Um, but you can catch it live there on Twitch and now they're streaming on YouTube. Twitch actually relaxed some limitations they had about cross streaming between platforms, which we've probably been doing for a while. And, um, basically now you can watch it live on YouTube and on Twitch and they got interactive chats that will talk to you on the show, just like we do here. And uh, I look forward to, to Brent, who's, you know, was a little young tyke when he uh, they had the Coco 2. So a lot of stuff I think might be new for him, too, to see what he what they discover. So anyway, go definitely check them out. And uh, they were great at the fest here with their special uniforms they had during their <laughs> live show recording, <laughs> which uh, I don't know how they're going to top that this next year. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Anyway, go check it out. 
But for the record, we are falling back. So everything happens earlier if you aren't us. Right? Yeah, I think. Yeah. 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 So, so now be- I'll be joining the show 1 p.m. my my time on Saturdays instead of noon. And I, I have to wake up an hour earlier. No, you should be an hour later. Because they move back. You don't move, right, Nick? Right. Um, I don't move, but I thought that means I have to wake up earlier. Nope, it should be an hour later, I believe. So our three becomes two, so we end up going earlier for everyone else in the world. And since you don't move, it's basically you you gain an extra hour of sleep, Nick. Oh, I gain. Better still. Great. (laughs) I win. You you still get your news nap, though. That's what I'm calling it officially now, the news nap. So So we're expanding the news another hour starting after the time change. Oh, God, I I have enough research to do as it is. (laughs) Girls can talk six hours in a row, can't he? My throat's already going now, and I barely started. I'm going to blame the cold snow on that. Uh Uh, next up, uh, Chronological Game is still covering August of 1982. Now, one of the big uh, computer announcements for August of 82 uh, for going on sale was, of course, Commodore 64, which is the, the best-selling 8-bit micro of all time. But there was another Welsh-based machine that made its debut that same time and also was a top seller. In fact, it outsold the C64 during its first year, year and a half of existence most of the time and out- actually outsold the Spectrum every once in a while, too, looking at some charts from the second half of 1983, which is a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, but the, basically, the Dragon 32 got announced. So uh, Chronology Gaming did a very brief description of the Dragon 32, and he did one sample launch title game, which was a game called Ghost Attack, which is basically a reskinned version of Computerware's Pac-Tac, if you guys remember that, one of the very early Pac-Man clones from 1981 originally. Um, but they did change the name, and they changed the title screen to reflect the new name. They changed the color palette, so instead of having a blue maze, you have a green maze. But other than that, it's pretty well the identical game. I won't play it here because we've we've seen that before. But uh, yeah, the launch of the dragon is gets covered on the chronological gaming, and there's uh, you know the first few months is basically a lot of cocoa ports because they had deals with Computerware and Spectral Associates and Tomic Software, which actually I think was one of the selling points of the dragon when it first came out because most of these other machines when they first came out, their software libraries were starting from scratch. So you got some, you know, basic games or some fairly simple ML games because people are still learning the hardware at this point. Whereas on this case here, the Dragon kind of could leap forward. They could take two years of Cocoa-related uh, programming skill and stuff because the hardware is almost identical and just, you know, skin it up a little bit or do a couple changes for keyboard routines or whatever. And then bang, you know, here's a game that took, you know, two years of learning to develop. And I think that's one of the reasons the Dragon 32 actually did sell quite well its first year and a half. And then uh, then the competition started to really heat up and then Dragon made some you know poor financial decisions and kind of Osborne themselves a little bit too. And you know, a few other things happened and it kind of went to pot afterwards. But that first year, year and a half, that that was going pretty good. It was actually one of the top sellers, usually in the top five, the entire last half of 83 from what I've seen uh, looking at some of the magazines where you know doing the sales charts. And usually, you know, neck and neck with a spectrum beating it on occasion. So you can go check that out, but there's some pretty cool games coming up in 82 a little bit later on, too, for the Coco that uh, I definitely will be hyping up there, including one of my all-time favorites, Phantom Slayer. We'll have to see what he thinks of that one. Uh, next up, Phantom 8-Bit, which is uh, actually James Diffendaffer, and he's been working on a chess game for the MC-10. And this one is actually cross-compiled. It's written in C, not in the same language like James has usually done for some of his demos. 
and of course, you know, 6803. So there's a cross-compiler for the C to the 6803. And it's not done. This is definitely a work in progress at this point, but the graphics look pretty good. He's done some redesigning of some of the player characters if you've been watching on Facebook or on Discord. And he's got his little uh, font uh, for basically doing your selection because, of course, it's not a joystick by default in MC10. But yeah, he's done a pretty good job for the uh, you know the small graphics mode. I think this, I remember the MC10 is what a 128 by 96 by 4? Basically, RP mode 1 on a, on a Coco, and that, that's pretty decent design. I do know some people were asking if you could possibly change some of the colors around because uh, if you're on a black and white TV, basically the red and the blue look identical to each other, which makes it a bit difficult. But I mean, we had the same problem in the Coco too, so... You could cheat like my friend Dwayne Downing used to do and just have a real chessboard. And then when the computer moves, you move his piece on the physical ones. So you can keep track of what color is what. But honestly, at this day and stage here, it's hard pressed to even find a black and white TV. Why wouldn't you just plug it into a, a color composite, you know, modern TV or something with composite input or something? You know, just get one of the adapters or even the RF little adapter thing. You can plug it into the cable slot and run that, too. So I would just say just go for the color part. But yeah, it looks really good. I don't think there's actually been a, a decent chess game on the MC10 before, especially not a high-risk graphics one and compiled. So it should run you know, fairly decent speed. So looking forward to the final product there from James. Uh, next up, Richard Kelly. He's been working on a text adventure game called Vampire's Castle, which is now in beta four. And as he mentions in his Facebook post on the Cocoa Group, uh, if you have beta three, you can use this version instead. Uh, mostly cosmetic changes. The color change is a very noticeable difference. Uh, he's got a little bit of a screenshot here. Now, unfortunately, it looks like he's using an older version of MAME, which is, kind of stretches the screen out, uh, which I know uh, Brian Palmer has that problem too. Uh, but basically, it's a 40-column Coco 3 uh, style thing. So you got true lowercase. you got you know more characters than we'd have in a normal VDG screen. It's a standard text adventure. I don't know if it's based on an earlier Coco one because there was one called Vampire's Castle. Earlier, I'm trying to remember who made that. Was that Lonnie's original one, or was that the Aardvark one? can't remember. But <clears throat> I'll have to ask Richard if it's actually a, a brand new one that he's done, you know, as an original himself, or if he's converting it from something else. But you can follow his progress on Facebook, and it's a free download on the Coco Group on Facebook as well. And that's it for the Game On News. So if you want to do the Flaming Hair campaign thing there, I'll uh, get ready to switch uh, over. Whoa, you caught me downstairs refilling my drink. <laughs> We can just skip the intro, go right into the news then, right? Oh, no, no, I think no, Nick would no, protest no, if no, I did that. Come on, come on. I think it's a rule. Would... You have to have the flaming hair. Okay, here we go. When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins... No matter what it takes, or where news breaks, from around the world, to your nation, the Coco Nation News, with L. Curtis Boyle. <laughs> yeah. Enough said. <clears throat> uh, that's it. All right. I've finished now. See you later. So time, time for your news nap now there, uh, Nick. That's it.
Hi, first up, uh, Tier City Retro Programming on YouTube has released three videos this week. Um, one is a follow-up to one we covered last week. So he was experimenting with the draw command and learning how the scaling worked and how there's a bit of a bug on certain scale values where you know it, lines won't connect in certain scales and lines will connect in others, which you know sometimes is just a bit, a bit visually off, but other times if you're trying to do like painting and stuff, it leaks out and paints the whole screen. So he'd mentioned that he didn't know that he didn't think there was a way to do angles. And actually there is the draw command, which is the same base. Well, actually the Cocoa one's the basis of the one using the GW basic on the IBM PC has four basic angles, zero, one, two, three, four, two, nine, 90 degree turns. And I'm going to cut the volume down is because he has a little bit of an animation here, but he kind of did the same shape he did last time. And then he, you know, flips it around using the angle command rather than have to recalculate, and redraw everything. So that's a kind of like uh, angles you can do. So you can rotate that and you can actually like if you want to draw letters sideways, you can make a font using the draw command, which a lot of us did back in the 80s. And then if you want to rotate it to print, you know, sideways, either direction or upside down, you just change the A0, 1, 2, 3 and, and just do the exact same drawstring, which is quite handy. And as we mentioned last week, the Apple had a bit of a more sophisticated one with shape tables that actually could do arbitrary angles and scales. But it was much harder to set up for you. you. Had to figure out how to, you know, create these vectors and stuff inside the shape table itself. Which at at that time I had no idea what any of that even meant. Never mind how to do it. So I just drew whatever random garbage happened to be sitting in the shape table, <laughs> and I used that for explosions. But yeah, if you want to do that kind of stuff, it's actually one of the more powerful aspects of the draw command. And then a couple updates. Uh, I won't play any video on here, but basically he's doing an update on his backyard thing for Tales of Suburbia. This is actually the final screen. And your ultimate goal in this game uh, is to wander around, you know, city life, et cetera, and then actually get a model rocket. And then you put it onto this rocket launcher that you can see on the screen here. And then it's going to launch up. And that's going to be the you won the game type thing. So he goes into some of the design and some of the changes he's done on this particular part of the game. And it's going to be like a multi-part cassette is what he's been planning on. And uh, this is uh, another part of uh, Tales of Suburbius. This is inside the house. Now, what he, he does here is he does a little video on doing variable graphics. And what he basically means is having the scenery change depending on certain flags in the game. So in this particular case, this red door on the right, you can actually unlock and open it. So he goes through some of the coding he used to be able to change that and shows a demo where you can walk up. And once you go in, it changes it to a green without a doorknob. So basically becomes an open door you can go through whereas currently you can't. Um, so it'll look more like this one here on the left. Um, and he actually, you know, debugs it as he's going a little bit here too, because he had a bug where he, it would do it properly, but when you walked off the screen, the variable got reset. And then if you came back on, it'd be locked again. <laughs> so he had to fix that. But yeah, he's getting pretty close to release on this one. And he's got some other plans. He's got a video I think he's releasing on today that's actually just a totally separate little side project. And I know Nick has mentioned that uh, he does the same thing. Like if you go hellbent for leather, creating a game that's going to take you months, you tend to burn yourself out on it. And that's any project. It doesn't have to be a game. So you occasionally do side projects to kind of like give the brain a bit of a refresh, do something completely different. Then when you come back to your main one, you're a lot clearer on, on how to do stuff and you don't get burned out, frustrated, you know, trying to get it done. I'm sure that applies to hardware too. Like Rick, when you've been doing all the network stuff here, you occasionally go off to side projects. You were getting a bit flustered with all the weird things that were happening. Indeed, indeed. So I think that's just common practice. Unless you're doing a very small project, you usually do have to take these little side breaks and do something else. So looking forward to those. Next up, and I don't know if he's still in the chat. I noticed he was on here earlier. 
Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. Uh, it's Chad. I'm going to guess here. Doblin. Please correct me if I'm wrong, Chad. But he did a full recap and a CPU upgrade to the 609 video here. And I believe his wife has actually joined our Discord recently, too, and is planning on taking on the Game On Challenge, too, if I remember from the... Um, who's new to Discord from earlier today. So I'll play a bit. Hey, everyone. It's Chad. Welcome back. In a previous episode, we expanded the memory of the Candy Color Computer 3. I've got the Coco 3 out again, and it's time to continue the upgrades. Today, we're going to replace all of the electrolytic capacitors and then the CPU. Let's go. One popular upgrade for the Coco is replacing the Motorola 6809 with the Hitachi 6309E. The Hitachi 6309E is a remarkable feat of engineering. It not only doubles the number of transistors, which typically means more processing power, but it also manages to do so while operating at a cooler temperature. The CPU boasts a native mode that, when enabled, offers faster speeds and an additional multiply and divide instructions. Hey, I'm gonna play the whole thing here. I just I'll pause it here because it's got a U on the screen. Um, <laughs> nice bit of advertising. That was nice, fluke. nice trash can. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, we have to mention that during our uh, Coco Tech talk, there, Rick, that uh, Nick designed oh, a trash can. His trash first, can. <laughs> his first active contribution to Nitrous Nine ever. What is and it? pretty well the only one I think still at this he, point. He actually wrote a serious contribution. Yeah, he actually the ran actual it. application type programs. In fact, I think if I remember, he actually used a uh, Coco graphics editing tool to make it under Nitrous Nine. Is that right, Nick? If I'm remembering that right. Um, uh, you know, you wondered, I can't remember. You wandered way yeah. off the path on this one, didn't you? I'm, I might have, yeah. <laughs> I think you use Super Ike or something, if I remember. I know you've done yeah, several it. icons for games. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So hey, um, I'm not going to play this because we've we've covered a lot of these during Septandy, but it's uh, a new person, fairly new to the Coca community as far as being active and doing videos about it. So it's really cool to see other people joining in. Um, and he goes through and does the whole upgrade, uh, upgrades all the uh, electrolytics and the, uh, the CPU, of course. And Look forward to some future videos. I'm looking really looking forward to seeing uh, some participation in the game on challenge stuff too, or the sounds of it too. So any anybody wants to join in on that, please do. So it's a lot of fun. It's it's not one of our most viewed videos or anything, but it's not meant to be something to really be watched after the fact. It's more like you can either join in the actual gameplay on the game on challenge every Thursday, and actually you can play in an emulator. You can play on the online X4 emulator that's part of the Color Computer Archive. You can share a screen from a, an emulator yourself, or you can you know, participate with real hardware. But it's a lot of fun, and there's you know the fun of uh, people trash talking from the chat and trash talking the actual show, and you know comp comparing people's experience with the games and how compared with you know the same game and other platforms. A lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to seeing them there as well. There we go. Check out the video here, and and uh, look forward to the future ones as well. Next, uh, Ron Klein. He kind of hinted at it last week that he's been working on getting the final release, or well, not final release, but the first official release. Uh, the Cocoa Pie project updated for 64-bit, and uh, that's because a lot of the software and tools for the Co the Pies are now going 64-bit only, as operating systems on other you know major stream operating systems have done as well. They're kind of deprecating all 32-bit stuff. So Ron published this rather huge update. Um, I don't know if I really have time to go through all of this that's in here. I'll just mention some you know kind of more key points, I guess. Um, so basically, this is now compatible with the Raspberry Pi 3, 4, and 400. It's not been tested on the new 5 because most people don't even have it yet. I know John Strong has ordered one and has promised to test it. It may work right off the bat. It may not. 
does any first of all, but does anybody in the panel uh, getting one of these new Pi fives? Uh, Doesn't look like okay. I haven't even played with my four yet. <laughs> so, all right, um, it'll work on those. Along with this, a bunch of updates have happened to the Cocoa Pie itself as far as software goes. So, MAME has been updated to 2.260 Tier City GP, which was originally created as a Tier City Model 1, 2, 3, 4, etc. emulator. It now includes MC10 and Cocoa 1 and 2 support. So, that's included as well. And those are all now built to 64 bit apps too. Um, the build menu has been updated. Um, there's a whole bunch of details on that there. Um, a bunch of the editors you can you know, edit UG Basic. You can cross compile from LWASM. CMOX on there. Um, so there's a ton of stuff. A whole sets of development environments are included on the image. So once you download this, you get everything installed at once. Um, there's debuggers in MAME and Tier City GP. Explorer is also available with the add-on of DDD and M6 and GDB. So you can do debugging on there as well. Uh, that's all included as well. So basically, it's a one-stop shop. If you have a Pi and you want to make it behave like a Cocoa MC10, etc., if you download this package from Ron, and he's even got ways to update the various sub-packages that are within it from within a menu system itself. So if I release a new EOU, for example, that automatically gets picked up and you can go grab it. You don't have to go hit my site manually to do it. You can just grab it and, and install it right off the menu system in the Pi itself. So there's a ton of stuff. There's a cross-libs included in there. UG Basic itself is included in there. Dynasprite library is included in there. 64-bit Java version of DriveWire has now been added as well, as long with Pi DriveWire. I'm sure that will be discussed on the Cocoa Tech special on DriveWire coming up, as Mark mentioned earlier. So definitely go check that out. If you have any questions, that's the place to ask, because that's the people that wrote it. Uh, both the Java one by Boise and the Pi, Python one by uh, Michael Furman. Next up, Geek with Social Skills, who was on the chat earlier, but I think he said something silly about having to go see the sunlight or something like that. I don't even know what the hell that is, being a, a geek. So uh, he's back um, on the in the chat. Oh, is he? Did it rain or something? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he did a video recently about upgrading to a six three oh nine and five twelve K. Now he's gone a little bit further. He's actually upgraded it to two megagram using the Cloud Nine protector and MMU board. Even got the little uh, label sticker, which I have still not put onto my Cocoa 3s, even though both of mine have 2 meg right now. <clears throat> um, so he goes through the upgrade process there and hooking up the MMU board with the DAT that actually adds in the extra address lines to access the 2 meg. Uh, the only meg or, uh, upgrades past this would be Ed Snyder's 8 meg that's part of the Gimme X, which unfortunately, due to chip problems, is still not back out. I'm hoping something can be resolved there with that so we can get that project going again. Um, and of course, uh, Paul Barton, whom uh, Ron knew before he passed away, had done his own 8 meg upgrade way back in the 90s. I had the Nocan 3 and internally had done stuff up to 64 meg. So I think that's probably pushing it a little bit silly <laughs> at that point. But, <laughs> you know, I probably would have thought 2 meg was silly back in the day. No, I wouldn't have. <clears throat> but anyway, he goes through the entire uh, upgrade process here and then runs a couple quick demos on it. Um, I gave him some suggestions after the fact of some demos that actually do take more than 512K to run that he can try out too. Maybe there's a future video coming out with that. Uh, Coco Town uh, did his next chapter in his uh, improving his old game, Game Revolutions. This is the Moon Patrol game. So those of you who just played Lunar Road Patrol, here's another one coming. Um, in this case here, he goes into learning about stack blasting. And uh, he went all out. He did the ultimate stack blast. This is where you have to shut off all sources of interrupts 
on all the chips that support it. So like PIA shut them all off. Uh, and that's because he's actually using the condition code register as well as the direct page pointer as part of the stack blast. Now, this has been done on some other games. If I remember correctly, I think Kime Guy uh, by Glenn Dahlgren at Sundog Systems used that technique too to get the absolute most speed. <clears throat> but it does cause some issues because, of course, if you're, say, trying to do background sound, you generally tend to use an IRQ or an FIRQ as a source of timing it. And if you're shutting all interrupt sources off, those don't work. So this is only if you're trying to do ultimate speed of graphics on a 6809. If you're, of course, if you're doing this kind of thing on a 639, you would just use a transfer memory command and it allows interrupts and it's faster anyway. So he goes through here. And, and if you're doing it this way, where you're trying to blast everything as fast as humanly possible, the other thing you have to do is you can't just have your graphics straight or reversed. You have to do it in the size of the number of registers you're pushing and pulling. So basically, if you're doing, say, eight bytes at a time, then you have to have your packets of eight byte reverse because of the way push and pull works. So this is a technique that will give you the speed, but it's complicated. You have to, like, redo your graphics order and stuff to get it to work properly. And it goes through some false starts where it does really weird things in this video, which is really cool. Um, personally, most of the stuff I've seen using stack blasting doesn't quite go this far. I think Kim Guy's one of the few. Most of them will restrict it to, like, a six-byte push-pull. They won't touch CC. They won't touch DP. Sometimes they'll touch DP, but CC for sure not, because you do want to be able to interrupt and still do sound. In fact, Nick, I think, used that for stuff when he was doing uh, Jumping Joy, for example, because he does want interrupts to go through, so the sound is kept steady. And um, the reversing of the byte packets, you will save a little bit of cycles doing it that way if you absolutely need the speed. Most games don't bother doing that either. What they'll do is that they'll have you going continuous or S going continuous. The other one, it'll do the six-byte blocks, but then it'll do an LEAS or an LEAU to jump 12, uh, basically to get the next reversed mm -hmm. order. And that's a lot simpler. You can leave your graphics in the normal order they're in. And the speed increase is still pretty darn good compared to doing like a low D story. So... Uh, I suggested, I, I I didn't suggest, I mentioned to him that that's how most Cocoa games do, because if you do want any sort of background sound or interrupts still happening, this technique cannot be used for that. But if you need the absolute most speed, this is the way to do it. And he's got uh, a bit of a teaser into his next episode, too, where he's going to add self-modifying code to the mix, so I can see Steve York just you know wrinkling his eyebrows here at this point, because uh, <laughs> he's not a huge fan of that. Though I think, honestly, almost every fast game I've seen pretty well does do that, <laughs> if you're really pushing things to the limit, because it is faster. It is harder to debug, because <laughs> you may look at the code and see what you originally had, and then you self-modified one byte off, or something like that, and you change the op code instead of the actual data register value or something silly like that, and they, the machine can go absolutely berserk nuts. So <clears throat> I look forward to that one too. But uh, yeah, he's he's pulling out all the stops here and trying to get this running as fast as humanly possible on a Coco, Coco oh, 1 or 2 in this case. So to be clear, you're maxi blasting self-modifying code. What could go wrong? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a braver man than I. <laughs> Because I, I think Nick, uh, being a person that uses stack blasting a fair bit doing six nine games, I don't think you've ever gone far that to that point where you shut interrupts off and actually use the condition code register as part of the stack blast, have you? And then change the code while you were doing it. Yeah, well, no self modifying. <laughs> Nick, I, I know he does do that. Yeah, I I, I try to keep it in control. <laughs> oh right, you never make bugs. That's why. 
Uh, well, that's the thing, you know. I don't have any bugs. So. <laughs> oh, geek with social yeah. skills. The sun is out. However, it's still cold. It's only forty nine degrees Fahrenheit. So I came back inside. <laughs> that would be what I'd be doing. That that fits here. Yeah, it's beautiful outside and about that temperature. <laughs> Anyway, it's a really good episode. If you want to learn the intricacies of stackbots, and I said this technique has been used in Coca games fairly rarely because it's going all out at the expense of some other things people might want to keep in for a game. Um, I do know he mentioned the same article I'd seen. So Glenn Dahlgren had written a blog post years ago, and he was talking with one of the guys I think he was going to university with at the time, and they were trying to get the stack blasting to shift the scenery on Kim Guy, which is a 16-color game running in real time, basically, to get it going as fast as humanly possible. And they did the whole flip every set of bytes in reverse so that the push-pulls didn't have to do an LEA in between every chunk. So that you'd save five cycles there. But they were having problems because they were trying. I think he didn't use the full eight. I think he used a seven-byte one. So I think CC left. But he was trying to allow some interrupts for sound, et cetera, to go through. And it would put garbage on the screen. So they ended up having to twist things around so it automatically overwrite after the interrupt happened pretty well immediately afterwards. You'd never really see that happening type thing. <clears throat> it's a really good blog post that we've covered it on the show a couple of years ago. I remember seeing it. And uh, if you want to learn some pretty advanced stack busting techniques, that article, which is what Cocotown based some of this on is definitely worth a read. You can just search for Glenn Dahlgren stack blast. something. I'm pretty sure you can find it on Google still. Anyway, I look forward to the self-modifying code one, especially considering he shows you what happens as he's debugging it. <laughs> so you get to see lots of pretty things happen on the screen. Or as David Ladd calls them, Curtis's screensavers. <laughs> Next up, George Jansen, the author of the original pack utility for OS 9, and also uh, did a seven-language series on Coco Talk back when the show was still called that. It's now going to be doing video um, assembly language programming course on YouTube. We kind of covered he did a little teaser video here, and this is his first official episode, which is basically just an introduction to the channel, what he's planning on doing, etc. Um the one thing I wanted to show, because I mentioned it last week, is he's released a couple of uh, demo things recently um, that he put up a disk image for. And uh, one of them was the uh, moving star field. He's actually, that's one of the things he's going to be using as a teaching moment uh, to show how it works and what the assembly source code Ooh. and exactly what it's doing. So he also covers some uh, extensions to basic he's done, which we have covered on the show before. He actually added for disk basics some stuff like pop-up menus and stuff that will restore the uh, background once you do it, kind of like what we're used to in most time with the overlay windows set. So uh, that's another thing that he's released to public. I'm just trying to find where his Starfield demo is here. I know he played it at one point. Rick, we might have to get you to go through his stuff and uh, index them too so I can find this stuff faster. I, I will do that. <laughs> Just say, look for the demo, the index coming up soon. We'll put it there. <laughs> yeah. So this is his custom boot uh, ROM type thing where he's got, you know, date and times and stuff in there. Because if he had a real-time clock and kind of like what Ron was showing actually earlier on, on the Ron Grad segment here. This might be here. He also added wild cards. The basic programs that are out there. Anyway, I think you see what the... the, the Actually, looks like a pretty decent little DOS extension. Uh, it's got some stuff that right. rivals ADOS 3. We like wild cards. F1, F2, and the yeah. clear key. I don't know how people so live without them. This goes back through the last... Back. 
and it will go here. No. FN seems the F which is scrubbing here isn't the greatest. Oh, up and let's look at Here's some of his uh, pop up menus RGB background yellow and foreground of that blue. Right? Again, I just go instead of changing each one of them. That was just a brief clip there. I should have timestamped the stupid thing. My apologies. Name or, or mess, you can go to them. It's actually a, is a phys now. fairly um, thing I forgot to mention. impressive looking little quick demo. And the the code was. for it's actually you quite just, small. There it was. There it is. It's very ex easily accessible through MMU registers. It, before uh, where you are now. Back. There was there was just a glimpse of stars in there yeah. somewhere. There it is. Oh, there we are. There it is. Yeah. Quick to get out of there. Clear that. Yeah. To figure out how to get there. One other item I didn't mention in the pop-ups is number eight, which is view page. Yep, I think I went a bit too far. You know, uh, on a color computer three, hey, that's a lot of memory to use. Very ex easily accessible. My apologies to George. Next time I'll tap step darn thing. The other commands I have, like the, it's after in a, another page. The things that I have put on very command assist you. I got too far and forward again? Yeah, we're past. I it think now. so. Yeah. There you go. About there. there. About the click there. Yeah. Let it play. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully this comes through okay on the stream. What's this in the <laughs> star field? So there we go. Parallaxes and everything. Uh just yeah. scrolling at different speeds and different colors. We're gonna code that in my first attempt at a video for Train. And Dwarf Red. Red Dwarfs. I mean. <laughs> so, hey, he'll be going through the code that generates that, how it works there is one of his first episodes, like, proper. So, this is more the introduction episode. So, if you're not subscribed to him already, I probably would do so if you're interested in learning uh, 6809 uh, semi language. This is usually going to be steered towards the Coco 3, and that's something we've not had too much of. Uh, <clears throat> most of the previous tutorials we've seen have been basically concentrating the Coco 1 2, because of course, if you combine that with the Coco 3, that's the widest audience. But I think a lot of people are getting interested in like the more advanced graphics and sound and timer techniques, et cetera, that the Coco 3 offers, palettes, et cetera. So uh, I think uh, for those of you who want to learn Coco 3 specific assembly language, this will be a really good series to check in on. There's not a fixed schedule for it. It'll be just as he has time. And he's an, as he put it, an 81 year old retiree. So, you know, you know, it'll be when he has time and inclination to do so, not busy with family stuff. But I, I really look forward to it. He's a very knowledgeable person. He's been programming assembly language since the late 60s when he was working on like IBM mainframes, et cetera. So he's he's had a lot of experience. Uh, next up, Fabian Rodriguez in the Coco group uh, posted. Now, do you guys know about this? This I don't know who Barbara D is off the top of my head, but uh, he did a... Basically, a Cocoa USB serial card, which will take the serial port from the Cocoa, and then you'll hook it up to a USB on a PC, and you can kind of use it as a serial port. And it's a hardware board. Uh, so he posted about this in the Cocoa group on Facebook, and then the actual GitHub here, and this is the board itself, and a description of it. Uh, with dip switches, you can change the I.O. address if you want to. <clears throat> if you want to make it you know, compatible with an RS-232 pack, it tells you what dip switches to use. If you want to make it compatible with a Direct Connect modem pack, you can do that as well. you got a jumper for ROM banks. As well, um, but has anybody else seen this before? 
Because I had not, or at least not that I can remember. Not at all. Because basically the way he's got it set up here, the way it shares the port and the way it addresses it here in the hardware is that you can run stock programs that use an R32U pack or the DCM pack with no modifications and it'll just work. So if you want to run Ultima term or VTerm or Supercom or whatever, as long as you address it the same or you set up a, a descriptor in the case of OS9 to address it the same, then all the terminal programs or terminal or uh, serial port based programs for uh, two-way communication I.O., Basically, we'll just work out of the box. No no patches or mods required, which is actually pretty cool. Because one of the problems we've had with some people doing, you know, alternative R232 things, whether through uh, software links to PCs or even like the 16550 in your case, Rick, you have to write a different driver because it's not backwards compatible with the 6551. And this this one is. Right. And I thought that's a pretty interesting approach. He was and the schematic is fully available, as you can see here on the GitHub. Yeah. And you can get see? the links to that. Seems a bit hardware intensive, but hey, if you want to build one, <laughs> he was yeah. The last I, I, it fact. sounds like the sixty five fifty one actually has some bug fixes in it too. His version, right? So right. some of the stupid issues we have with the real one because it's a, one of the buggiest starts through the two things I've ever seen, and I really wish that had not become the standard. The sixty five fifty two even you, hell you do you do notice that's a that's a, a Commodore chip. The sixty five fifty one versus the sixty eight series Motorola chip. So we kind of bought into our headache way back when by buying the MOS UART. Yeah. <laughs> so. my, my favorite is still the one they eliminated the TC9 is 6552, which was just all bugs fixed, faster baud rates, and two ports on one chip. Much better. Okay, so, that would uh, work. <clears throat> yeah. But that's unobtainium now. If you look at my screen, you can actually see the one that I built. Oh, he's built one. Oh, you built one of these? Where are you, Bob? Come up. Yep. I'll stop uh, sharing so you can show it. Talking oh, about highlight them there, uh, Mark B. With all the pieces, parts, and everything. Coming, coming. Everything but a ROM. I mean, you don't really need the ROM. Yeah. Yeah, the ROM was just for that like uh, basic terminal program, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. And uh, basically, he sent me two bare boards, and I have assembled one and got enough parts to build the other one, but. So, oh, so we have somebody. A... Somebody want this one? <laughs> he was at the it's last... no good now. I've already built it. I don't need it anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> he was at the last Cocoa Fest, wasn't he? I remember talking to him. I think I, think I bought so, a... yeah. Don Barber. I don't know if he was. No, was he? The, the Federico. What's his name? Oh, the guy that reported it. Fabian. Yeah, yeah. I think he was. So, Bob, have you actually tested this with any of the existing software to see how well it works, either under OS nine or under DiskBasic? I need to do that. I haven't. Uh, I haven't tested anything as far as serial communications at this point. Still, just working out my hardware. Okay, that'd be interesting to see because if it's if it is backwards compatible, that's like I said, that's one of the problems we've had with some of the other you know replacement things is that they're not the same chip, so it doesn't work without you know, patching stuff or writing a driver, et cetera. This should, theoretically, from what he described it, plug in and work with any program you used to run back in the old, if you want to run from Color Compact, Video Text, up to V-Term and Ultima Term. Let's see the back right. of it. Nothing on like there. the back of it. <laughs> Let's just see at the bottom. Don't throw it away. <laughs> yeah, recycle, please. Yeah. Basically, uh, and see where there, there's no jumper for the ROM and no ROM. 
This one was an early revision. I had to file a little bit off of the grounding lugs to make it fit in the socket, but not a big deal. What he does has, he put in uh, the ROM? Is that the some terminal the, software? Uh, oh yeah, that, that was where the so you could the be, old software. Yeah, so you could be just an RS two thirty two pack. As far as anyone knew, you could stick the ROM in right. there, and mm -hmm. hey, I'm good to go with nothing else. Just plug this so, in your cocoa, and it's a USB out cocoa. That would. I mean, if I was going to bother doing that, I'd pick a different terminal program to put on the ROM because the right. one that comes with the RS two thirty two pack is kind of crappy. <laughs> Any different thing, Netmate would be the one to use, but there's no RS two thirty two connector if you just want to. I mean, you have to use the USB there, wouldn't you? Well, that's the point, um, because there's not yeah. too many things these days use RS-232 connectors. So, right, right. yeah, yeah. The, the big thing with this uh, one is that it allows the backwards compatibility with all the software that's been written over the last forty years, whereas most of the newer ones don't. You have yeah, to write software specifically for the new stuff. I think with this, he used an external uh, RS-232 to USB adapter for the PC end, or something to that. Maybe not. I don't yeah, no. Well, hmm. I think he's done that on his end. Yeah, yeah the little blue that's, satellite boardy thing that looks the like the external. USB. That's the external RS two thirty two to USB adapter, but it's on the Coco side, so the Coco doesn't. So the CPU, the PC, sorry, doesn't need anything but a cable. Yeah, right. That's what it's, I'm gathering. Yeah, USB cable and your gold, your Coco and your USB cable in this cart and. It's a party. And a multi-pack. Well, no. Well, not if you have the ROM. Could, yeah, you could put the ROM in. and Or, or you could load it off cassette. I mean, you could, like, the, a lot of the original Coco terminal programs all ran off cassette. Colorcom E, et cetera. It. I guess if it doesn't have a ROM, you could use it on a Y cable. Right. Yeah, that's, that's true, true, too, because you wouldn't so have the address in common. Yeah. So you could put a Y cable with an SDC. Because if it's emulating the 6551, it's basically you should be able to run this sucker up to 19.2 kilobaud. What does that cost? Should be faster than that, actually. I mean, he sent me the boards like two for five bucks, and all the parts that I had to order, I had some of it already in stock. So I spent maybe 20 bucks on this. Hmm. The, that uh, okay. DLP chip is probably the most expensive item. I think it was about six dollars. Right, and then there's yeah. lots of chips, but they're eighty cents a piece, right? Or fifty cents. A yeah, piece. yeah, they're not part of the chip shortage thing. <laughs> right. No. <laughs> you got no. no I'm, I'm intrigued by this because I, I do like the fact that I mean, now that we've got a lot of these, um, you know, fake modems that actually let you like go across the internet to hit a, a BBS or something like that. I, I imagine you probably use that for this too. Or use this for that, I should say. Mm -hmm. You know, atdtrickulins.com or something. You'd have to use like TCP Sir, like that Jim Brain wrote, and then you could do that. <clears throat> you know, I use the RS-232 pack and then run the 24 pin to um, a USB uh, gizmo that runs to the PC, and then I run a program called um, S-Term, and it makes the... Um, Serial port usable for going online. Yeah, that's essentially what this is doing, except right. instead of having that external USB to RS-232 adapter using RON that's yeah. built right onto the 
the board. Yeah, you just cable into the cocoa. That would be nice for that. Yeah. I, was, I thought that was pretty cool, and I didn't know that existed. <laughs> hmm. Okay, back to sharing my screen. So hey, there's some details there. Uh, copyright 19 or 2023 by Don Barber. Goes into a bit more of a description there, which I'm not going to go through all that here because it's all hardware stuff I don't understand, but you guys can talk about it maybe next week after you guys read it. Next up after that, this is about the Mister. So the Coke 3 drivers for Mister have had some updates too. Um, and I'll just read a couple of them. I'm not going to read them all here. You guys can check out the actual GitHub, but you can find the link in that in the show notes as well on our Discord. Uh, but it's now cycle accurate up to 9.54 megahertz. Um, using the Greg Miller 6809 core. So the original core that the Mr. on the, the Cocoa 3 Mr. Uh, package had was the one that's not quite cycle accurate, but was meant to be as fast as possible, which of course causes timing problems on certain games that are really pushing the hardware. This fixes that. Uh, so it's based on the Greg Miller core. Um Bunch of stuff that changed on floppy stuff, multi-pack stuff. Uh, the OS9 LL Coco SDC driver got an update to handle this better. Um, some changes to the gimme. There's even a disabled uh, gimme hardware DMA to prevent OS9 from detecting the gimme X, because I think that was causing problems on the Mr. if you tried to run, say, EOU, and it was trying to detect it. And uh, a few other things. Basically, a lot of bug fixes. But I know like the Coco 1 and 2 part of the Mr. usually has been pretty good lately on the free core. And on the Coco 3 side, there's been this public core that's been worked on. Then Roger Taylor has his own commercial one, which was a lot more advanced, a lot more compatible. But it looks like the, the free one's starting to catch up here. Um, so for those of you that uh, want to try give it a try, I would love to get a report back from anybody here who has a mister, or in the chat for that matter, has a mister, and see if this new one, how well does it work? Kind of curious. So please uh, come back and report it if you can. And we got some Dragon stuff happening here. So uh, Dragon Plus Electronics, John Whitworth, uh, has a Halloween sale on till just before midnight, October 31st. And I'm guessing this is local UK time, so we have a bit less time here in the States and Canada and uh, extra time for Nick because he's living in the future. Um, if you purchase any of his regularly priced products and you spend a minimum of 20 pounds, you will get 5% off your order. Now, he makes, of course, a super sprite board. He makes replacement power supply units for the Dragon and a bunch of other stuff, too. So hit dragonplus-electronics.co.uk. You can take a look there and uh, you get a bit of a sale here for the next few days. Next up, Julian Brown, who I think I was also in the chat earlier. I don't know if he still is. So he posted a couple of photos of his revision to Dragon Motherboard replacements. Um, he's been going through a few different revisions of it. And he mentions in the main post and in the comments some of the improvements that are going beyond. So his original version of his replacement board basically just made the Dragon Motherboard available again, kind of like Pedro's done with the Coco 1, 2, and 3. So this new revision 2 board, uh, one of the things you want to do is try to cut down the chip count so it's not such a complicated board. And you'll notice here there's a whole bunch of empty spots here now, which you can add other stuff in now. So he's succeeded as far as that goes, but he's also got a lot of extra stuff already on here. So this is like a, an enhanced dragon. So he's added in uh, PIA2 allows for four sets of addresses instead of just one. He's got 256K of bank RAM in here, which is kind of like the JNR banker that Ken has uh, got working on a Coco 2 we covered last week. Uh, dedicated video daughter boards with improved picture quality, both for NTSC and PAL. And he showed a picture. We showed the PAL one last week, and there's another story of his that I'll show a picture of what the NTC one looks like if you want to see that. 
internal cartridge port connector. So you don't have to use the cartridge slot on the outside only. So it's kind of like uh, you can plug in, like, say, a disk controller inside, kind of which was kind of the plan on the Coco 4. Um, I don't know what this means here. I'll have to explain it. VCC pickup point for alternative keyboard or anything else. And anybody want to tell me what the hell that means? Let's assume it's a hardware reference. Uh, five volts power in case you have like a special keyboard connection. It gives you uh, voltage. <laughs> I like it. Julian says he's ready to try and correct me as usual. Yep, please do so because I'm I'm out of my depth here. Uh, combine ROM image with an option for image selection if a large ROM is used, which means you can have a ROM. I think the standard ROM in the Dragon has extended basic and color basic, which is 16K, but you can have a larger ROM and you want to add in, you know, you can flip between them if you have some alternative thing. Um, or maybe I'm assuming it can be under program control. You can bank switch it if you want to, you know, have extra ROM stuff, kind of like the Code 3 does. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what the new board looks like, which is pretty cool. And here's a picture of the NTSC video card taking shape as he put a few bits on order and I need to find my cache of 6847s. So this is be the uh, little daughter board you can plug in. The, the fact he's made this modular means you can buy the main Dragon motherboard, whether you're running NTSC or PAL doesn't matter. And then you just pick which one of the video boards. In fact, you can swap them in and out if you're going between countries or something or between types of TVs. So that's good. And the last one here is actually from the... Um, World of Dragon Forums, which is the website of all things Dragon, including archives of software, manuals, all kinds of things. And they have pretty active forums there. So I can't remember what the guy's last name is, but Rob CFG is his handle on there. And uh, he inherited a dragon that was from France. So the ROMs have had some updates for French, as you can see here. Um, but it has SuperDOS... Edition 6-1. Now, the normal SuperDOS only goes up to Edition 6 period and stops. So this Dash 1 is actually some enhancement added to the original SuperDOS. And you can see there's a copyright date here of 87, which is actually quite late in the Dragon's life. So this is something that the... I don't know if this individual in France did there, if it's something that was sold in France that was a bit more advanced than the stuff last sold by either Dragon Data in the in the Wales and the UK or by Eurohard in Spain when they took over the Dragon. Um, but you've been kind of going through trying to figure out what exactly has been changed here besides the translation to French for prompts, etc. Uh, the boot screen shows it to be released in 87 as shown here on the screenshot. And he mentioned in the post, the lower part of the 16K EEPROM is almost identical to the regular SuperDOS Edition 6, but for a couple of translated strings and a couple of other bytes. Then the upper part, which is filled up to almost 12K, and I, I'm guessing the original one had took a lot less room than that. And it comes with a bunch of extra utilities on it, including a debugger, hexadecimal and binary code decimal conversion utilities, uh, visual view and RAM and other things. And he's got some screenshots showing some of that stuff here. So here's part of the debugger. You'd have to kind of figure out what all these different things do. Um, that's that's built into this extended ROM. There's a menu system here with some of the things I just described, including you know, convert VCD to hex, convert hex to decimal. Uh, visual memory, which means you can page through memory on the VDG and kind of see active, you know, a dump of it in ASCII slash semi-graphics mode format. So you can kind of monitor what things you're doing. Um, reboot basic, I think, is what that means in French here. But basically, it's got all these different options here that the original SuperDOS did not have, from my understanding. So I'm kind of curious what else is in there. That does look a pretty decent extension. So maybe they can translate it back from French to English, and that could be an upgrade for existing dragons as well. 
So many thanks to Rob for finding that, that uh, out from the system he inherited. And that's all I have for the news today, unless Julian has some more corrections to whatever I got wrong talking about his stuff. <laughs> and I don't see anything so far, so I must have did semi-okay. Either that is a really long delay to you, the UK. Everyone's sleeping. <laughs> I'm just surprised off. Nick's still awake. <laughs> That's all I got. And it didn't look like uh, Brian Luzer was able to make it back. So I guess we'll have to hit him up next week for some stuff. And, uh, now, what, what are you is, working on there, Bob? Yeah, what is Bob working on? Um, <clears throat> yeah, mute. Yeah. Oh, so I'm not working on there for oh. a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm uh, working on my DC powered cocoa here and trying to update the uh, five volt constant power that runs the uh, SCAR to HDMI board. Uh, basically, so that it doesn't take so long to um, sync up if I reboot the computer, like power off and power back on. Uh, if I'm running the SCART box off of the computer's 5 volts, the SCART box turns off and it takes a while to resync. So I, I got just a separate little five volt regulator here but i hooked it up backwards and i think i fried it so i'm gonna have to order another one a separate little this is why i do do hardware it's too expensive a hobby all right you can (laughs) fix a bug in software in seconds hardware bugs require reordering yeah you order two to begin with Oh, I, I wanted to mention something Sixty put in the chat here before I forget too. I'm just scrolling back for it. But basically when we're talking about the uh, using the stack blasting using all the registers, and I said the the only game I remember using it was was uh, Come Guy. Um, he corrected me. There's another one, uh, Stuart Orchard's Return of the Beast, which is one of the most impressive games on the Dragon and the Coco 1 and 2, and it's basically a clone of Time Pilot 84, does use that technique where you shut all interrupt services off and then stack blast everything. And that's why that game moves so smoothly. Oh, you start. Go ahead, Rick. Uh, nothing important. That was that yeah. was better. I never order one part. If I'm going to order something, it's always I bolt, order several. Right, and I've got Mark's box of bolts in my parts desk of chips I will never use again. But I've got some. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have one when I need three. But I've got some. <laughs> yeah, especially for common parts like voltage regulators and such. Yeah, I don't buy. I don't even buy two or three. I buy them in like ten. Oh yeah, get a tube. Yeah, what the heck? Yeah, like this the L- experiment. Yeah, like the LM one one seven. I have a bunch of them in two point five volts, three point three volts, five volts. Bob, also, we got a comment from Rocky Hill who just joined us, uh, Pedro there, and he says, "I, I had to step out, but I think I heard there was a magic smoke incident." <laughs> Well, there was no smoke release. This is a sealed unit, so oh, it stayed in, but it was released. It was released, but it didn't get out. That's right. Yeah, it's a good way to make things explode, though. It was, <laughs> it was internally organized. <laughs> what ram board is that? Uh, that is the. Uh, I should know this without having to read it. Is that the banana thing, or what? Oh, that's the one designed by Kieran Anscombe. Oh. All right, yeah. So it's a 512 yeah. K board. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rocky, it was internal uh, internal damage, internal bleeding damage. Uh, quick check on uh, Zipster's uh, website. He has uh, some STCs available. Oh, things are moving. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, Frank, you have uh, STCs available? Yeah, actually, he mentioned to me earlier this week, he was wondering if uh, we'd made some special announcement about Retro Rewind or something, because he had 11 Cocoa STC orders in six hours in the middle of the week. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Your advertising That's dollars at work. That's RetroRewind.ca for Bob. Yeah. Okay. And he always loves it when we have a bunch of people order Cocoa STCs at once because he can't use his pick plants and all that stuff to work it. He has to hand solder everything. So. Oh, okay. So let's all save them up. We'll save a code word for every show when you're supposed yeah. to order stuff from Richard. Well, we'll get a bulk order of 100 or something and just watch him solder for days. So is this uh, his uh, wrist out of, a, out of the cast now? I, I think hope. so. Or he's got my helmet so he can... <laughs> Solder like that. And yeah, it's nice having two sources because that is definitely the if you if you're gonna get a yeah. hardware add-on for a cocoa, that Number is one. the first one to get, no matter which cocoa you have. I suggest you get more than one. One yeah, have two. Because, because I've blown up my first one, so I'm now gonna have two working ones at all times. And they, they do wear out after a while too. Like SD cards can wear out from too many writes, which you know when I'm developing nitrostein is quite often. Um, but also eventually like the CPLDs and stuff actually eventually, you know, kind of can kick the bucket too. I think it happened to Nick, if I remember, and he had to order a, a new chip to replace the old one. Yeah, well, and you only have to. Flash ROM. Yeah. And when you order them uh, from Retro Rewind, don't order one, order two. It's always good to have a backup, especially considering you have more than one Cocoa. Why not have more than one Cocoa SDC? That's All exactly right. why I have two. Get your get yourself as a guy you know called it a, a pair and a spare. And, and, and Mark Bosley, should should we make it a weekly thing to see what Zipster does have available on the site? Because that's actually not a bad idea. Because he's only rotating through certain products, and you know every week it might change as to what he's got available. I mean, we do want to encourage people to go visit his site, uh, just as we want to encourage visit the uh, Retro Rewind site. But uh, yeah, I was last couple of weeks I've just been. Uh, Taking a quick look and see if because he, he doesn't like pre-announce things. All of a sudden, you just check. Oh, he's got the MCX32 SD for the MC10 available. Or, or right, you know, he does suggest so. four cocoa SDCs at a time is the manufacturer recommended amount. So, <laughs> well, by the way, Frank of Retro Rewind says in the chat here, people should be ordering four at a time. Actually, so he's a glutton for punishment for soldering. So do that, folks. We'll wait. Go ahead and do it. We'll wait. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Curtis, with all the uh, emergency work you have coming up, you you should be ordering eight of them. Emergency work? Yeah. He was like, he got a rush job the other day, and he's like, oh, I've got a rush job. Oh, that wasn't Coco related, though. So Yeah, but the money can be applied to Coco. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. Yeah, since you got that's when I start burning out the the SDCs, doing all my nitrous time when I get back fully into that, that's that's where it's going to. Mind you, I might probably burn out the SD card before I burn out the SDC itself. I've burned out a few SD cards, but I haven't burned out any CPLDs or anything yet. Yeah, Nick has, and I think a few others have, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you only got to unplug it once at the wrong time, and U4 is gone. So has there been any updates to the uh, 
correcting the issues with the latest firmware upgrades? And it was no, I mean, Darren's aware of it. He joined the Discord and he was kind of talking about things there and I haven't heard anything further on that. I know he was running out of room on the existing chip to do too many more mods to it, but uh, I know in my case, I'm sticking with the old one because I'm not giving up all the speed for you know, having to slow it down on purpose. Mm-hmm. Especially on the Coke, give me X. I mean, I, I really don't want to slow it down more than it has. Has to be ready. <laughs> Frank says PLCC sockets also suck. <laughs> Easily the worst socket ever made. Yeah. Yes, they are. All right. Well, we ready for an outro? I think so. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation Show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Okay. Uh, I guess that about wraps it up. And wow, we're under three hours. That was a short show for us. Right. <laughs> that's because we got all this Cocoa Tech content now that's pulling all the stuff out of this show, which was the purpose. It was to shorten this one up and put all that stuff on the other shows. So as far as the week goes, you're going to have more. <laughs> right, right. You've got, you got the hours, Game On yeah. Challenge for a couple hours. You've got a Cocoa Tech for a couple hours. And you've got the Cocoa Nation for three. So. so we're up to three days a week. Hey. And we pass the savings on to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Except for your sanity. We don't promise anything preserving that for you. Sanity, not a guarantee. All right, then. I guess uh, we shall say goodbye. Yeah. So what, 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 what's happening next week? Is there a Coco Tech next week or is or just the Game on Challenge this upcoming week? Just Game on Challenge. Okay, and the week after is when we start hitting all the Coco Tech stuff? Yeah, it'll be the seven. Okay. Just want to make sure we keep plugging those because uh, it's a new show. Got to get people to check it out. Oh, I thought this week was letting the magic smoke out of things. Well, that too. Now, I did figure I want to, so people can get you know up to speed. So that'll be three in a row, 7th, 14th, and the 21st. Oh, that'll be cool. Now that he's mentioned it, at the end of the year, we can have the magic smoke special with all the Cocoa Tech <laughs> stuff that went that went away. The previous Before anybody year. asks, I will not purposely solder my hair for that episode. Well, you don't have to purposely, just do it accidentally. Why don't why don't we we should start selling a small fire extinguisher that says Coco Tech on it? Oh yeah, Coco Tech fire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the picture of me with my hair on fire on a sticker on the side or something. The Curtis button, (laughs) full Curtis in danger of emergency. Hey, that means we got some swag for Coco Fest. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. All righty, we'll catch you guys later. Yeah, everyone have fun. See y'all next week. Bye. We're sorry. Bye.